one. All right, there will be bourbon returns tonight with. I should have probably asked in advance, but it's Walt. And how do you say your last name, sir? Niziolik. Niziolik. All right. Walt Niziolik, uh, for those who don't know, is uh, he's a part of the goon Zooms that we do. And if you don't know what the hell that is, it's great because we're going to tell you all about him and why he's someone you should probably get to know some information about. Before we do that, as you know, this is a show fueled by bourbon. And before I get to what I will be imbibing with tonight and having guide this discussion, we're actually going to do something a little different. We got there will be bubbles. So check that out. Be bubbly in Napa, bebubblynapa.com. They are kind enough to allow me to talk about their product on this show, I guess you want to call it. Um, but what they are doing for the month of December and the Christmas, because we're all into the Christmas spirit. Walt, you a big Christmas guy? Yeah, especially the grandkids. Oh, you got grandkids. Yes, sir. Even better. All right. So adults can count down to Christmas with the most festive beverage of all, the sparkling kind, which we got right here. Check that out. This is this is going to go down a little bit. Enjoy global bubbles with the Bee Bubbly Christmas pack that includes five French, three domestic, two Italian, one Spanish and one Argentinian bottle and a partridge and a pear tree. Okay, that's very Christmas. You need to look that up if you don't know what the partridge and a pear tree is. Do you have do you know what a partridge is, Will or Walt? Yeah, it's a bird. It is a it is a bird. Have you ever have you ever seen a partridge in a pear tree? Not in a pear tree. So you know, alongside <laughs> the road, buddy. There's a pear tree right down where I go running in Napa. So I didn't have yet to see a partridge in it though. All right. So available now for purchase between the fourth of December, as you like I said, between now and then through the thirteenth, while supplies last. You can pick these up if you are in the Napa region, or you can go on, like I said, bebubblynapa.com, order them. Pick up or shipment. The favorite of the owner is this right here. The Bee Bubbly. I'm reading very well. The Bee Bubbly Brut Rosé. Uh, 50% of all these proceeds go to the local Napa charity. And this month they are sponsoring a family through the Napa Women's Domestic Violence Shelter. So pretty cool stuff that they're doing. If you can, by all means, get involved and uh, help out. But now for us. Uh, Hold on. We got a lot going on here. Well, so let me put this down. Bubbly pack. What we are going to do is we're going to get fueled by a little Elijah Craig barrel proof. All right. So the barrel proof, which you, you may or not know, so that they've been doing barrel proof for several years now. However, um, if you know anything about Elijah Craig, it's a Heaven Hill product, right? Heaven Hill distillery. Well, the usual Heaven Hill, it looks just like this, the bottle, uh, but it was always 12 years until a few years ago when supply started to not meet up with demand. So what they started doing was making only their barrel proof bottles 12 years old. Okay. And when you look on this, you can see the batch. And so, you know, when it was produced in that year. So they, they release three of these every year, an A batch, a B batch and a C batch. This is C, which you'll see down there. Uh, 920, which lets you know, was produced and bottled and distributed in uh, September. And 20 is clearly this year, so 2020. So there you go. And this is coming in at 132.8 proof, Walt. Wow. That's delicious, tasty. right? That is tasty treats right there. So, hey, you know what? Between, remember that list I sent you about a barrel that we could potentially yep. do? I know Elijah Craig does these. So there's a local store here who just did one. Um, with the, the other, the standard bottle I got over there was done by a, a local supermarket chain. So they do do these programs. So if we can't get the Buffalo Trace, we could always look into a little Heaven Hill and some Elijah Craig, maybe. It'd be pretty fucking cool. 
All right. So that's what I got. What are you imbibing tonight? Or are you just going to hang out in the hotel room, man? What's going on? No, Pennsylvania is one of these jacked up states, Eric, where you got to go to a special store to yeah, buy heard. liquor. What do they say? Dutch hat, one Dutch hat up there, right? Okay. So what did, so, what, did, what did you, what were you able to get? I got dog, dog fish head, 60 okay. minute IPA. And there, that's an Atlanta brewery, isn't it? I thought it was West Coast somewhere, but it may be Atlanta. It's tasty enough. I mean, it's... I could be wrong. Whatever. But yeah, it is good. Uh, so you're an IPA guy, huh? You like IPAs? Yeah, I do like my IPAs. I do like the IPAs as well. I didn't like them until everyone's like, oh, it's a California thing. And I always hated them. But then I got out to California and I actually like them. And I learned the whole Sierra Nevada uh, story and went up and did that distillery. Or not distillery, that brewery. Did that one. I did their East Coast version in North Carolina. It's actually pretty cool. So I don't know. Do you, are you familiar with the 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 Sierra Nevada story? No. Okay. So the guy essentially, he started making beer and he finally was able to go to some beer festival in San Francisco. I think it was. And uh, everyone hated his beer. Huh. There's like one in every 10. He said he would come across that maybe thought it was drinkable. And instead of going and just revamping the entire thing, he said, I'm just going to make beer for that, for those you know, for those 10% of whoever I come in contact with. And that's what he did. It was his flagship. The Sierra Nevada is an IPA. That's like their flagship beer. And that's yeah. what it was made after. It's like, why try to, you know, please everyone. Let me just, you know, please who actually likes it. Narrow casting is what we call that. Not broadcasting, Walt. Wow. Yeah. It's a cool story. And so now the dude's a billionaire. So, you know, it's a good American story. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> All right. Like so for everyone at home, if you don't know, like I said, who Walt is, I'm going to tell you. So, you were previously in the military, which is why we love you. And then you are now also doing some, some really cool shit out in the civilian world. Um, so military, right? You enlisted as an infantryman. Yes, sir. Uh, let's see. You re-enlisted twice, apparently, because you ran out of money for college, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. <laughs> and then you went to Korea in the 10th Mountain Gang. Uh, you, had to go, you had to go to boot camp a second time. So why did you have to go to boot camp a second time, Walt? Oh, Jesus. This is one of the pain points in my life. Well, long story <laughs> short, the Army was transitioning to the OSET concept as the time when I came back in. Which is one station unit training, which means if you go do this infantry, military, police, you're going to do every, you're going to do basic training and then your job training all in one location. And that's what good Walt is talking about. Okay, carry on. And, and at that time, the entire training battalions were shipping to duty station together. Oh, so anybody coming back in, anybody reclassing, anybody recalling, couldn't join those classes. Wow. So again, you know, it was the OSIT concept, the whole 13 weeks, lovely Fort Benning, Georgia. I couldn't get in a class. And finally, the class opened to just reclass people. And it started uh, week two in boot camp. I had to go back. <laughs> Catch AIT. Now. I don't understand the logic of the army. You know, I spent just shy of three years in the first Ranger Battalion, so they felt compelled to send me back to boot camp. Oh, so you had already gone to Ranger school and everything, and had to go back? No, I hadn't been to school. I wasn't. Oh, okay. I wasn't tab yet. I was just a okay. Got it. Because that would have been even better, right? Tab guy yeah. in a fucking infantry basic training all over again. Like oh it was God. horrible. But <laughs> I was fortunate. One of one of the DIs in my platoon was an eleven Charlie, out of the bat. So okay. you immediately latched on, you know, roles in basic training, shut your yeah. pie hole, yeah. be invisible. I did my <laughs> best at that. He didn't have to gig me on much, found it odd, did a little digging, 
and he started pulling me aside for a lot of details. I'd drive Deuce and a half for the supply sergeant and helping the arms room hand out crap. And I got away with a lot, but I had to go to a lot of classes, but it was painful nonetheless. Or he put me in charge of every pencil neck in the platoon that wasn't cutting the mustard. <laughs> Made it my accountability for the 71 November bedwetting reclass. <laughs> I got the babysit him. So what year was that when you went back? 85. So 1985. Okay. So you're your Cold War error, right? Yes, sir. What, so, when, so when you're in basic training uh, the second time, are they covering that stuff for you guys? Or was it very – because I was just curious. Because I remember going through and then, you know, they, they taught – I went through in 2002. They taught us all about – uh, the Iraqi military and some of the other militaries and all. And then I, when I went as a drill a sergeant, we talked about kind of current threats and the war in Afghanistan, Iraq still that was going on. So I was just curious, did they, did they kind of tell you about that stuff or was it more tactic driven? No, it was the, the, the big threat still was Russia and the, the right. gap and all that nonsense. Right. You know, we weren't fully through Reagan years and the, the fall of the wall and the normalization of, of European relationships that, and don't forget that time frame, and where I spent some time uh, downrange was uh, the old Iran Contra crap was still in the back pocket. If you remember yeah. in the mid eighties, you know, that was, that was earlier in the eighties and a lot of sh stuff was still flowing. I don't know what I can say or not say for his language, but a lot hey, of you can say whatever you want. That's what I was waiting for you to do. Drop the first F bomb. If you want, Walt. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of that shit was flowing through and, and you know, I, I did some tour walking down and, you know, air bases in Honduras. Okay. You know, and crap like that. But that was the big threat. But yeah. uh, in 85, it was still Russia, Russia, Russia. You know, much like, you know, 2017 in America, Russia, 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 right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's, so the cover the rest of your bio and then we'll kind of dig down into it. So you, you went, yeah. you eventually commissioned into the chemical core, which is, I, I do have a question about that. Oh, yeah. um, you were at Fort Bragg the entire time you were commissioned. Your career ended after, quote, smoking into runway at McCall? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, <laughs> we'll get to that. And then uh, you did mention Honduras and Panama for, is it direct support deployments? Yeah. Okay, and then you did go to ranger school. You were obviously airborne and aerosol. You were aerosol and a pathfinder. You had all kinds of cool yes, guy sir. badges. You had all the cool guy badges. That's a good deal, yeah. especially back then. I bet they were probably a little more. They were hard to get. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I went through airborne school and it's just like you, you fall out of a plane. <laughs> it's, it's not hard. You fall for a week on the ground, you, you practice jumping out of a tower, and then you fall out of the sky and just don't get hurt. That's airborne yeah, school. But... Yeah. <laughs> it is cool, though. And then, all right, so, and then I also, before we could dig back into the, the military stuff, so like the civilian side, which is what you are do today, um, best three years of your life were in third grade. <laughs> good uh at 14 years old you are a tobacco picker yeah uh, you were a lifeguard i was a lifeguard that's cool high school president never was a high school president i always thought high school presidents were nerds um i was the high school jock slash i don't know i was a bad i was good and bad in high school if it made sense. i played both sides of the fence i was a chameleon while i try to blend in with everybody as was i eric to be truthful class president because <laughs> i could organize the best keg parties <laughs> exactly see all right it makes sense now now all i was good at was showing up to the best keg parties so i was from like a little uh little cow part town in florida where we could uh go out to cow pastures and get the keg parties going but i never hosted anything because my dad he was a corrections officer and it wasn't going to go well if i tried any of that 
Yeah. Uh, uh, so anyway, but, though, but and you're obviously very smart because uh, Walt here got a, a, a 1560 on the SAT. And this was pre three sections where you can get a 2400 now. So 1560 out of 1600 and a 155 GT score on the ASVAB. So for anyone who's ever taken the ASVAB, I don't know how high that goes. The highest I've seen previous to Walt was 149. Um, all I know is I got a 113. Walt's smarter than me. So, <laughs> and then, okay, so you got a, you have a bachelor's in, so, all right, industrial engineering. So clearly you took a real degree. I didn't, I had political science, not a real degree. Um, you went to the University of Michigan? Yes, sir. Oh, we'll have to get into the football team. Oh, please. <laughs> no, no. Oh man, we, we might, we got another hour and 15 minutes, give or take, you never know. So, all right. And then here's what I'm interested in as we get to it eventually. So you were a plant manager, you were an engineer on the F series program for Ford. You launched interior for Ford expedition and Lincoln navigator. Um, yeah. you, it, it sounds like you've done a lot of really cool shit in the auto industry, man. And then, uh, now, now the stuff after that is, is like blowing my head. I don't know. Uh, so you were, you did a lot of operations within, you know, power wheelchairs, motor coaches, composite building materials, and you started your own. So what is PE? Private equity. equity? Okay. Yes. Private equity and then venture capitalist firm focused on options and derivatives and small market business development. Yeah. That's like, that hurts my head, man. Um, that's why I'll have you explain it. Cause I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm just, just tell me where to go and I'll be there. Type of All, guy. Right. All, right. All right. So let's back up 1985. You finish, um, when did you commission? What year was that? 88. Okay. And that, so, so, okay. So take me through, what was the process about you wanting to commission? Were you just like, I want to be in charge of these, these knuckleheads or what? Let's cut through the horse crap. Let's right? do it. You know, I'd, I'd done a spin in Korea, come back, got involved with 10th Mountain, 10th Mountain starting up at Benning before they moved the drum, second brigade. You know, they took over the old starship that third bat was in before they moved down to Victory Pond, Harmony Church area there. Yep. And uh, we're pulling up and we had our two battalions in OSIT and getting everything going and and uh, setting everything up, receiving equipment, sign, you know, that whole horse crap. You know, I was yeah. a, an old hand that they could delegate virtually anything to. And it, it was fun. I was in the HHC at a brigade and New guys like Sergeant Major Cruz met Sergeant Major of the Army Morell at the time. I drove them two knuckleheads around one time. You'll have to remind me to tell that story. That was <laughs> but, you know, that's the kind of crap I was doing. Well, I got noticed from a buddy of mine down in Milpersend down on Main Post. Okay. Listen, you're up for a cap cycle back to Korea. I said, you got to be shitting me. You know, I, I just got married, Eric. And I, okay. You know, and... I dragged her down there and I said, no, this can't be right. How do I get out of it? And he says, there's really only two ways. Warrant officer flight school or OCS. Well, by the time I left main post, got back up to Sand Hill. I says, ah, I'm not technical or, or tight enough to be a, a goddamn helicopter pilot. You got a 155 GT score. That's Just general technical my- for those keeping track at home. Just not <laughs> what you're into. Wasn't what I was into, so I go okay, back. Okay, wait, to hold on. Before you tell that story, so I'm just curious, why? What? Why did you join the army? Well, you know, is it family history or, or yeah, there's a family history there. Okay. I grew up in Chicopee, Massachusetts, uh, okay. biggest Air Force base on the entire East Coast, longest runway 
on the East Coast. Used to run B-52s out of there. I mean, very, very proud military history. Okay. My family served, my father, my uncles. Um, you know, and I come from a blue-collar working family. I didn't have money for college, man. You know, I, I was accepted MIT, Cal Poly, University of Alaska, Tulane. I don't know why I applied to some of these places. I was no, no way on earth I was going to Tulane, but it was cool. Um, I just didn't have the dough, man, you know, and, and it's hard. So I said, what the hell? I'll go in. My original plan was three years, get that all out and then go to school. Right. I, I did want to be an engineer. I did pretty good in math. I had two years of physics and two years of chemistry, two years of calculus in high school. So I was okay, you know. Yeah, yeah a, a, a little better than okay, but I appreciate the humility. But, you know, I was, I was pretty geeked about it. I wanted to go yeah. solve hands on real world problems. You know, how do you, you know, how do you keep bank robbers out of banks or keep bridges from falling in? I wasn't quite sure what type of engineering, but, you know, and I, I said, what the hell, you know, engineers are employable problem solvers didn't ran out of money. And that's ultimately why I went back in. Okay. So, yeah, no, that's fair. I have a friend who's a, uh, a civil engineer. He, he's always doing bridge projects here in California. So, but you're right. I mean, he's always working. <laughs> it's a good you know, thing. And, and then when it come time, I went to the chain of command and when I got done laughing, <laughs> they wholeheartedly endorsed me for OCS. They thought it was the best practical joke they could ever pull on the army. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, <laughs> the whole world, because anybody who knows me knows this, you know, I'm, I'm half a knucklehead and I'm just smart enough to be dangerous. You know, I was, a, I was an okay private. I was a pretty decent NCO. I'm 86 before I commissioned. Oh, cool. Okay. There you go. But I thought I was a hell of an officer. And the reason I was a hell of an officer is because I remember vividly what it was like to be a private and what it was like to be a sergeant. And at the end of it, stayed out of the sergeant way, gave them the support and resources they needed, kept the hubris out of their path, hmm. and you went. It's that simple. And, and I related to guys, if a kid couldn't get home on leave during a holiday, he came to my place, I fed him, you know, bellied him up to beer, he slept <laughs> there, whatever. That's just yeah. the mentality, right? Right. And, and you just wrapped your arms around your own. So I, I was real proud of that. But I commissioned initially to get the hell out of going back to Korea. So so when did you go to when did you go to Ranger School? Right after OCS. Okay. And um so wait, so here's what I don't. So you branched chemical. Oh Jesus. Let's how did that happen? Because I, I, I thought I was familiar with how OCS works today. I don't know. How did it work back then? How did it go with branch selection? Well, way it goes down i can't remember exactly if it was week six or week eight you go and you do your top three well i didn't yeah. even do a top three i did a top two it was either infantry or engineering i wasn't interested in anything else okay no goddamn artillery <laughs> no air defense wing nuts no, no tanks path, no armor scared me because that's the biggest target on the battlefield they are pretty impressive but mm. i spent my whole youthful career learning how to kill them damn thing <laughs> Um, you know, I, I just wasn't interested in anything else yeah. at all, you yeah. know, and I had experiences in infantrymen and I felt like I said, I was a decent private, you know, I was smart enough to know what to do and know exactly what the limits were, you know, cause in those days, if you screwed up in a battalion, they ripped the shit off your head and you were down in 24th ID that afternoon. 
And that was the biggest threat. You'll be changing threads on one of them big metal pieces of shit by the time the sun goes down. <laughs> I wasn't doing any of that, right? And it was also cool to cut in front of all those guys at, at all the, the repair depots and supply depots. You know, we were we were level two. They were level, what, four or five. So we'd cut right to the front of the line. And, and a lot of pissing and shoving and millwright salutes. And <laughs> so I, I didn't want to go back to that land, right? And there's no offense. It, it was It's not meant to be derogatory. So I did just enough to stay out. But I learned all those lessons because I had superb leadership. Every damn yeah. intro, I can't point to one uh-huh. until I got to ultimately 10th Mountain. There were some guys hiding out there that were profiling. And it, it just, they hid there. It was a brigade headquarters. It, they got run out of other places and they landed there. You know, one in particular, pardon the, the digression on the story, but I, I'll never forget. He used to screw with me. He was an... He was an E8 in the Brigade S3 shop, mm. and he was a flat-footed, high-blood-pressured broke dick. <laughs> That's where they all go, to the S3 shop, which is operations, for those who don't know. But anyway. And he used to go out of his way to fuck with me. And Sergeant Major liked me. All those people liked me. Even the seven. The right people liked you, yeah. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> and they knew he was fucking with me, but he's an E8. I can't. You know, yeah. I'm not... I could have dined the mountain ship, but that ain't how you do that. Well, I'll tell you what, Eric. The day I got commissioned, find <laughs> me to tell you this story about my commissioning itself. Okay. But I commissioned at Benning, and before I even went home, because I was quartered on post, all right, my parents were there, I had a big old shindig going on. I went right over to brigade headquarters, I stormed in the place, <laughs> locked that fucker's heels. <laughs> And wore his ass out like a nickel cigar. And I never heard a crowd of NCOs applaud a second lieutenant like that. My <laughs> I can see it. Know he was a dick. Yeah. You know, well, I'm that's not mentioning thing, like- that's inappropriate, but I smoked that E8 like he was a fucking PFC. <laughs> oh, see, but that's the thing, though. It wasn't, it wasn't isolated to just you. So he was clearly a toxic leader who was doing all those things to everyone else involved as well. And because... Most likely, I hate to say it, but someone probably did that to him and he thought that's the way to act. Because that's still the same. A lot of the issues we have today are still the same. It's because that's all they know and they feel like that's the only way to be effective. But people like yourself can see through it and you know what? It's not. It's, it's, it's right. dumb and it's just it's, it's maintaining a, a tradition of toxicity, as I like to call it. It's stupid. Um, there's a time and a place for being a dick, but there's a time and a place for just, you know, how about we just treat people like people? How about we do that? Right. Yeah, and there was no, you know, I wasn't in his chain of command per se, right? Even better. So he, he went out of his way to fuck with me. Yeah, he, exactly. That's why. Yeah, that's why I said it. Even better. It wasn't like he was responsible for me and I didn't do something or I did something. Yeah. Douchebag had nothing to do with me on a day to day basis. But every I, chance he got, yeah, he fucked with me. <laughs> Where was he from? Do you remember? I, I don't know exactly. I thought he'd come out of uh, the third brigade. It used to be the 197. Oh no, I just meant where was he from originally? Like maybe he was a uh, maybe you guys were from the same town and he didn't like you or some shit. I don't know. No, I don't think I did his old lady or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's back up. Before you went to Ranger School, you said to remind you about your commission. So tell me about your commissioning. Well, how'd that go? Well, 
Long was that Fort Benning still? Was it? Yeah, was yeah. It, that's your, okay. OCS still at Fort Benning. All right, in Georgia. Yeah. So I leave. I leave Tenth Mountain to go commission. Okay. But that's another and, thing. Like you, like Tenth Mountain had. To, never mind. We'll get to that because I went to college in upstate, and no, that's horrible weather. Worst weather on the planet. But anyway, go ahead. Well, I I grew up in New England. I was I was willing to You're go used back to this there because I was the closest to home, and I was kind of excited about that. But the whole Korea thing came up, and I said. Phew. I mean, that's probably the only thing comparable to Korea minus the summer, I guess, the winter at least. Because, yeah, you don't really get the Korean summer in, in upstate New York, but you get the fucking winter. That's for sure. Yes, you do. Jesus. Yes, you do. Okay. But, you know, my, my old man comes in, okay, and my, my old man's a, an interesting bird. Born in 39. Okay. Too young for Korea, too old for Vietnam, but he went downrange anyway. Did three tours. Got got smoked. Ate, ate half a B-40 rocket. You know, I mean, he, he got beat up pretty bad a couple of times. And this is relevant because he, he, he got evac to Japan during one of those episodes. And, and again, you know, he was married. I, I was already born then. You know, I, yeah. his first tour, I was five or six. I'm the eldest of the kids. Damn. So he had, my, he had three kids. <laughs> Left mom and the kids in, in Chickabee, did his thing on range. I remember when he come back. Cause at his big air force base, I'm telling you about, he didn't yep. go through California, spit on your shit. They flew him right into Westover. They dumped him on a deuce and a half and drove him up the street and plopped him on the lawn. You know, we're not a military town. It's an air force town, you know, air deuce and yeah. a half. They're like uh, yeah, wash stereo. Right. You know, this is an army deuce. Must've yep. been for reserve unit up the road or something. But mm. anyway, they dump him off. He scoops me out one hand and stuff bagging in and or long story short, he used to come around Eric when I was stationed in different places. Okay. And he used to bust, he used to bust my balls. He was real proud, obviously, but you know, it was PFC this or corporal lad or buck sergeant this <laughs> and break my stones about how long my lawn was on quarters. <laughs> you know, it wasn't edged to perfect nineties. He was just, you know, just busting my chops for the sake yeah. of it. And yeah. they used to love to go out because where we were quartered at, it, there was right by, uh, what, St. Martin, if I recall, the, the hospital at, at Benning. But anyway, we were right behind there. Yeah. So every time he, the medevacs would fly in, they'd fly right over quarters. And this is cool shit. You know, he hasn't heard chopper since he was downrange and his chest would bow out and all this shit. Well, anyway, we go to commissioning. And I think I told this part of this story on a goon zoom one night. My old man's walking around the company area right before the ceremony, and he runs into this first lieutenant with six Archons. My old man got an Archon with a V device for being fucking gutted. Yeah. And he about went nuts. Well, my old brigade commander, God bless his soul, he's passed away since, pulled the old man aside and kind of explained things to him. He was a Vietnam vet as well. So it was kind of a brotherhood. So now I got the yeah. 06 and the guy who thinks he's an 012, my old man. <laughs> walking around the company area, you know. <laughs> a little uncomfortable at times. But oh, yeah. we go to the ceremony, right? And they allow you up to pin you. Okay. And my my old man, like I told you, was Bucks are in this corporal that we pins the, the bar on me and I says, Oh man, you better snap to and render the proper hands. <laughs> And he grabs me by the lapel and he says, listen, you little motherfucker, I'm still your old man and I'll always outrank you. We square? <laughs> yes, sir. The old 12 has spoken. <laughs> and he come around, he come around in the brag days and shit. So he was awful proud, but uh, yeah, you know, that's, 
<laughs> so you know what yeah, you may have what's that i was gonna say you you may have told that probably when we we've because we've gone on a few rants about awards so yeah. it may have it may have been because i i get where you're you're coming from because we have the same issue today where i told the story like you know there's they fucking hey you're getting a bronze star and you're not and you know bronze stars for my like for my grandfather like that meant something like that was an award for fucking valor and now it's just hey you showed up and you know you you, you submitted all your fucking reports on time on the on a on the sipper net so everything was was good and you didn't have any spillage hey, here's a bronze star you know what i mean and your your dad obviously is seeing at a, at a time where arcoms army accommodation medals were probably the bronze stars of today like they meant something his has the V device for Valor. And then you got some dude who just, you know, based on his rank, hey, here's a here's another Arcom for your platoon or whatever doing PT well. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. So I can I, I can understand that. Well, you were an officer as well. So you you probably received some things that maybe you've either you're just like, oh wow, well, I'm getting this because of everyone sure, below. I got, a, I got an Arcom for running a fucking ROTC camp one summer. I got fuck? an impact AAM for that. I'm like, I was an instructor, you know, like I did op four and I got an impact there. I was like, Oh, thanks. I mean, I ran the NBC committee at Fort Bragg <laughs> one summer. What yeah. Fuck? Yeah. But I mean, an extra duty for a douchebag. It wasn't a chemical officer. <laughs> well, that's a, so that's what, okay. So you, you branched chemical. How come, so what happened? You didn't get infantry or, or, or. And, and we petitioned, I, you know, I had Colonel Plummer. I had, <laughs> I, I don't want to go into specific names, but General Carpenter was a CG at the time. We had another general who was a, a squadron guy over in that special gang. Mm-hmm. He even petitioned on my behalf. And they told him, every one of them, Department Army says, gentlemen, we need guys like this that used to be at the tip of the spear in these support and combat support activities because that's where we're losing the fights. And, you know, how do you argue that if you're a grizzled infantry colonel or division commander, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to go to war over some peckerhead E6 that made second lieutenant. You know, I, I mean, they, they went to bat for me, but you're not going to win that fight. DA stonewalls and says, listen, and it wasn't only me. There was a couple other guys that got shafted. Yeah, there. I would imagine. Kid that was a fire service Marine. In fact, one of my first roommate at OCS was a former SEAL kid named Mullen. And I don't know what he branched, but he wasn't infantry either. Yeah. You know, well, I, just, I mean, that's what I don't think people re- like I, I, I get it's different with you and I having this conversation. But what people I don't think understand is men like yourself. And I guess now, you know, there, there are women that are going to end up in this branch because it's open. But I've always I probably have said it on the podcast before. But if not, uh, one of my best friend, the smartest man I've ever known, the dude I remember was just on the wrong path after college or after high school, fucking around in college. But he was all, he was gifted student. He's probably like, you guys probably had the same fucking as or SAT score. But I remember he was the first of us to join the army. And I remember he got a 99 on his ASVAB. And this was at a time when you could pick where you were going to go and what you were going to do. So he asked for Italy and he wanted infantry and he wanted airborne and Fucker got a 99 on his ASVAB. He's going to pick and do whatever he wants. So he got all those things. Right. But I remember him always telling me like the, the smartest and the dumbest people are in the infantry and the smartest have to lead them. So all their officers, like it's super competitive for you guys to end up in the, the infantry because you're literally, you know, you have all of these people and yes, there are some very, you know, 
guys who just barely qualified to join the military. So they go there, but you also have guys like yourself, guys like my best friend, like the smartest people are in that branch or in that component. Eric, an interesting sidebar, brother. What, yes. What you, remember that old school form? You guys don't do that shit anymore. It was a two way or whatever it was that kind of listed all your scores and all that crap, your education. And it was kind of the, the, the folder that your, your shit would go in. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that. 201 I, I, file? Was it a 201 file? Was it a 201 file? Yeah, but it was part of that. It was a jacket. Okay. It was a two-way form that uh, education level and all this crap. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that that the it's a career track ACT, I think Army Career Tracker is what it is now, but it's the same sort of thing. I, I get where you're coming from though, but yeah, what <laughs> I I go down, right? And I and I you never see this record personally. So I'm down a mil percent talking about this OCS thing, right? Mm-hmm. Getting the apps and signing up for the physicals. And they look at my jacket and they say, listen, what the hell are you doing? You got a, a doctorate of jurisprudence. I said, I don't even know what that is. But I have a <laughs> JD law degree on my goddamn jacket. So I'm supposed to be some Harvard law professor, according to the fucking army. So that, that was wrong, right? It was wrong, of course. Well, so that's a, yeah, so. Before you keep going, the same thing for the longest time, because when I came in, it was everything was still paper. Now everything's digital. Yeah. For yeah. the longest time, in my like official personnel fire, it said I had passed the Army Captain's Career Course. Sweet. Uh, yeah, I'm like, oh fuck, when do I get to walk around with my fucking rank? But no, I never. Not an officer. But anyway, okay, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> it was yes. funny because lots of lots of lots of admin it. errors. Oh, yeah. I, I'm a nuclear physicist. <laughs> Mumping a rock and a rifle. You know, yeah. getting yelled at by guys like Silverback and Shepard and people like that. <laughs> That's great, man. Okay, so that was the commissioning. You went to Ranger School shortly after. What was that like, man? Was it? It was interesting. You know, Ranger yeah. School is, is Ranger School. Because why'd you do that, though, since what what, what made you go? Because what you weren't any of you branched chemical. Like, how was because I know officers have always been encouraged to go to these you know, the schools and, and, but they were shocked that somebody from the chemical branch wanted to go, but it was simple to me. Right. You know, every time I was supposed to go, something came up and I couldn't, we're going to Panama. We're going back to JTC. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're doing this. Listen, we'll put you in the next class. Listen, we'll put you in the next class. I mean, I went to every other school I wanted to go to Eric Mm -hmm. Ranger school was, I should have done it. God damn it. When I was an E4, E5, yeah period end of right. story that might have made a difference branching officer so i insisted my my class tac officer was was a infantry officer at the chemical school he was getting punished for something but he came out of the same regiment i was in the first of the ninth manchus up at liberty bell when i was in korea uh-huh. and he was there as a company commander so we had common ground and he helped me out he got me a slot at ranger school but uh I was the only guy from Fort McClellan in 20 something years to go out of the chemical branch. I don't know if they sent him there, but uh, I said, bullshit. I'm getting screwed on branch. You know, I go to the OBC course, right? I'm the only asshole on Fort McClellan wearing a maroon beret at the time. So I stood out like a sore thumb. (laughs) I don't do third man, third squad very well. In, In OBC, Eric, they, is the biggest goat herding exercise. It makes boot camp look 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So that's yeah. officer basic course for those keeping track at home. Yeah, I apologize for the acronym. No, no, that's what I'm here for. I, I will but clarify this, these acronyms. This is Shithead Central. Right? <laughs> One, it's Chemical Branch. Two, it's Fort McClellan, fucking nowhere, Anniston, Alabama. I mean, nowhere. I, right? I was there once. We did a we did a, a an SRP for a reserve unit, and I I was a fresh E seven at the time. And I got on this SRP team and I remember we did an SRP for a, a reserve. I can't remember what type of company they were. And I remember I went out to, to, to meet them and the commander and the first sergeant had been in formation. And there was literally a female private with pink braids. And Sweet. I lost my fucking shit. Cause I was, I was, I was a drill sergeant like three months prior. I lost my shit. And they're like, you can't do that in this. Reserve. I'm like the fucking first sergeant, the commander is okay with this fucker with pink braids. And so I, I, was very unbecoming that day, but I felt like it was, it wasn't right. But anyway, all right, you're at Fort McClellan. <laughs> and, and it's a shit show. I mean, yeah. it, when, when an OB officer basic class gets together, right? Yeah. The missioning sources are so vast and they're not consistent, period. <clears throat> and what year you was this? The point he had out of the Hudson School for Wayward Children. You could be an ROCC puke from Podunk U. Shitville, Arkansas. <laughs> you could be, you know, you could be an yeah. MIT kid, right? Right. You got this disparaging group. And the only thing that, that's consistent is you're wearing a bar. Everything else, Eric, it was disgusting. Mm. And, and in that program, you know, you take time being student leaders, just like any other development course, like PLDC was right. or, <clears throat> or whatever, Been there. Ranger School. Well, you get these pinheads in front of these formations, and I just could have shut my pie hole. Sounds like some E7 doing an SRP with something. <laughs> and I couldn't third man, third squad worth of shit. I said, hey, shithead, calls <laughs> the attention. You know? You know well, what anyway. you're doing? You were doing the NCO sharpshooting thing? Because I wanted to uh, – let me run this by you. Because this is a theory I've always had. And I, it was so much on display, I felt, in airborne school. Because you remember airborne school. It's yeah. You've got probably twice the size of a normal company in your company. So you got, you know, 300 fucking people. It's all mixed. There's officers. There's every – there's every, <laughs> there's every uh, service. It's all mixed. But I remember it was never more on display. Because I've always – I had already seen it. I didn't go to airborne school until I was already an E6 and a drill sergeant. So I, I – I got it based off of merit. It was never in my contract. I never had a reason to go. I just went. Um, but I've always felt, and it really solidified at that point, is that NCOs, we love to sharpshoot the shit out of ourselves. But officers usually, you did. I think the only reason you did it is because you were an NCO. But I feel like officers protect themselves more than any other person. Like they will never call anybody out unless it's, offline but ncos we're in formation oh you fucked that commander you know like we're so quick to just call out everybody and 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 eat our own officers i felt like i've never seen them really do that in front of anyone else oh uh, in this environment there was three of us okay One kid was a former mp yeah. another kid was mi and we were both all of us were prior enlisted so class thinking they're going to keep me out of trouble made yep. me to class s3 <laughs> so bright idea yeah well My anyway Eric, long story short i had 30 write-ups in 13 weeks of school <laughs> how'd you make it <laughs> the hey, they couldn't fuck with me the pt score was was max great yeah. i was gonna say yeah you could they already just, do all those at the things. end of it 
short of short of popping the general's daughter or GUI or, <laughs> or something, I they were on shit they were doing to me. And I knew it and they knew it. And yeah, you know, and I stood out, they could see me across the playground. Again, I'm the only asshole at McClellan with a with a bray on. Exactly. You know, this was pre everybody got the, the fancy headgear shit. And yeah. You know, I anyway, I got a real cool story to tell you. This is a classic. Okay. Right. Let's do one this. of the other dudes was a, a prior service medic. <laughs> okay. So we go out on an FTX. And again, this is foreign for 95 Field training exercise for those keeping track at home. All right. I'm sorry. I keep doing no, that. I got, I got, that's what I'm here for. It's the only thing I'm here for. Go ahead. So <laughs> this is our first three nighter. Okay. Of course, class S3, I do out all the op orders, the scenarios, the crap, and my knuckleheads run all the gear and we organize the op for and all this. Well, anyway, the end of the first night, uh, one of these kids in my S3 shop was the medic. He got called over there and one of the, the female lieutenants reported she had urine in her blood. Okay. I says, I, I'm not a medic, but uh, it's dark. How do you know you got urine in your blood? Or blood in your urine, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, how does she know? He said, well, you know, I didn't really think that. Let, let me talk to her. I said, well, it's probably a valuable question. Okay. <laughs> so he goes back over there. Well, when I when I peed in my canteen cup, was the answer. So this guy comes back to me and says, she's peeing in her canteen cup. Okay. Man, we got to learn this secondary and tertiary questioning shit. So why are you peeing in your canteen cup, <laughs> right. young lieutenant? Okay. Turns out one of their what's the correct way to put it philosophies habits cultural norms was partake in some of your own urine what the fuck i ain't gonna say where she's from i don't want to be biased but anyway you have to tell me about this offline because i've never heard about this so I, I would love to know she drinks portion of her own urine at certain intervals okay, okay. so Two days later, we get off the FDX. You know who's standing in front of the formation? Her. You got it. Oh. Biggest gaggle going on. So what's third man, third squad do? <laughs> Yo, <laughs> piss breath. Call us to attention, <laughs> would you please? You don't think the whole post heard about that, do you, Eric? Not at all. They've never no. heard that story. No? <laughs> I even had to start a post and maybe come down and get a chunk of my ass over that one. <laughs> that was three to 30 write-ups one signed by a one star countersigned by my class officer major. So, yeah. so i was a hell of an officer oh well, yeah it sounds like it. that would have been a good time <clears throat> but wait you didn't tell me what the hell how did ranger school go for you it, it was i got punished <laughs> i knew every did instructor. you make it through the first time oh yeah okay oh, yeah you know, I, I knew every instructor there. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, when you go through your, 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 your testing in, you know, you do your PT shit, go hang on a bar. Well, and of course, one of somebody I knew <laughs> running that lane. Yeah. Okay. So hang. Right. <laughs> All right. Everybody execute. You, you stay hanging asshole. Two rotations of people go through the chin-up bars before I'm allowed to execute rep one. <laughs> company commander of the company I was in at, at that training battalion. Yeah. Used to be my XO. 
So guess what? We get in the pool. I know you're a swimmer, asshole. You stay in the pool while all 500 other pinheads go through this exercise. And then you can do yours. <laughs> and guess what? You're the admin squad leader for every rotation. You're not actually a functioning graded squad leader. So I, I didn't even leave containment and I had the equivalent of two majors and two minors. I was one spot report away from being chucked that I wasn't there three days. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you had a good time. Yeah, I did. I yeah. actually did. You know, what it, year was it, that? What year did you go through Ranger School? What's that? What year did you go through Ranger School? 88. 88. Okay. So, so that's another thing. So you're going through that at the time. Um, we, we all know like the, the fucking wall fell shortly thereafter. What was that like for you? Were you still in when the wall fell in Berlin? Yeah. I mean, so what was that, that like for you guys? Were you, were you spun up or you, cause I assume you never went to Germany. No, no, okay. no. I, I got evac through Germany later on, but that's, okay. that's a separate story. I never got stationed there. Never spent any okay. time there. Yeah, I was just curious what it was like being in, with, especially with all your training. Like you're clearly at the tip of, hey, if anyone goes, you, you, you know, I mean, you're not it, someone who wasn't qualified to go somewhere. The biggest thing was the proxy shit in, in Central America and Southeast Asia. That's the focus. You know, anybody who knew anybody who did anything, any of our deployments, particularly in a battalion, the only time we went any place extraordinary or cool went to Iceland once. Everything okay. else was Central America. It was Panama, it was Hondo. He was dicking around in at Fort Polk. It could very well be Honduras as backwards as that. <laughs> Fort Polk list. sucks. I went to uh, where did I? I did. I did PLDC at Camp Bogar, Camp Biogar, Biogar, whatever in Louisiana, and then we did our actual FTX, our field training exercise at Fort Polk. A lovely. And place. I remember it was in like I think it was February, and it was cold as shit, and it rained for four days, and we were out there for three of them. And then I got like evac'd out of it because I was just so fucking dehydrated and shit. It was hilarious. It was great. Um, I I I I've always enjoyed being miserable. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. but that was the worst. Like, yeah, that place is pretty bad. Like, and what's weird about Fort Polk is it's like no one ever has anything good to say about it. It's kind of like Userec. No one has anything good to say about Fort Polk. Um, but it's also a spot that not a lot of people admit they've ever been to. Well, like, I don't know because there's like a there's a division down there, right? And it is JTC. It used to be the fifth. I don't yeah. know what's there now. I don't know what's there now either, but it's it's not unknown. But yet people no. like you never hear like, oh yeah, Fort Polk. No, whatever. But you know, remember though, and Eric, that time, you know, we were still transitioning, right? Out of the Vietnam era and jungle yeah. warfare and fighting the commies there. You had Central America go on. We went to Grenada in 83. Remember all that shit? Panama. You know, that was still the focus. We weren't thinking desert warfare. You know, right. we had well, yeah. the big full-scale roll-up in Europe we were still worried about. But the Ranger Battalion wasn't going to come out of the States. The 10th Mountain wasn't going to come out of the States to go reinforce the 1st of the 52nd of the 101st Armor in Europe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, European formations. But what, what the hell good is 10,000 light infantrymen if the Russians breached the Volga Gap? Right? Yeah. You know, we could man some checkpoints and we could do some cool shit at airfields. But I mean, at the end of it, we don't have enough ass to stop much of anything. Right. Kind of so like Korea now, right? Always the counterinsurgencies. The focus was always the narco terrorists. The focus was always the communist infiltrations in Southeast Asia and Central America and kind of nipping that crap in the blood. Because remember, that was very real. The Sandinistas and 
you know, there was worry about the Colombian FARC and all this other crap going on. I mean, we lost a lot of guys down there, and it didn't make it's, a lot of press. So, so did you did did you do anything cool down there in Colombia? Yeah, I did stuff? a couple of things. Yeah, what'd you do? What'd you do, Walt? Nah, uh, you know. It, it, <laughs> what can you tell us? You know, a lot of it, a lot of it was off script shit. You know, I'd move a company down at a time. We'd escort some of the three letter guys. A lot of, a lot of, you know, there was a, as a, as a knucklehead private Eric, I didn't always know what was going on. I wasn't read into nothing. Yeah, exactly. All I knew is, is, you know, don't let anybody through here, asshole. <laughs> so, okay. So <clears throat> I feel like we're jumping all over, but yeah. all right. I apologize. No, no, no. That's good. It's just, I need to, I'm trying to piece it together and figure it out. So what year did you get out? I got out in 92 ultimately. So did you go to desert storm? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. So let's, let's go there. What was that like? You guys get to fucking Saudi Arabia and then what? Yeah. I, I actually landed uh, in the kingdom on August 4th. If you recall, the invasion took place the second. I was on the first plane of knuckleheads out of Bragg. Oh, well, I got down there and I had one NCO and one of my Joes and I was a chemical officer, right? In the 18th Airborne Corps. Oh, cool. Short tab, short tab prior service, the yeah. G3 knew me. You know, there's a threat of the chemical weapons, all this other horse shit. And as you look, you get on the goddamn bird. Bam, bam. All right, we go over there and, and it was it was the biggest. <laughs> mm. No equipment, no nothing. You know, there's threats of them coming over the border, right? Coming over the Kuwaiti border and smashing into the kingdom. And I'm saying, all right, here I am. Joe shit the rag, man. Lieutenant. Got my M16, 240 rounds, two hand grenades, and two thumbs. One <laughs> thumb would have been up my ass, and the other one would have been pointing in the right direction because that's. <laughs> The kid I was with, get a load of this. Kid I brought, he's a good kid. He was my driver. 203, grand total of four fucking rounds. Couldn't get any on the depot before we deployed. They wouldn't let us get on the plane with them. We'll get Are them. You we'll get them to you when you get there. <laughs> okay? uh, I, I love to know that not much has changed. I really would love to talk to someone who was, because they're too old, but I would love to know what it was like to go into World War II. I really oh. would. You know what I mean? Like, I would just love to hear their fucking deployment story because it doesn't seem like nothing's fucking changed. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. I, I stole shit from everybody else yeah. to get by. It's the month. same shit when we got to fucking Kuwait, when we landed to go do the invasion. It's like, oh, you don't have enough shackles. Well, uh, what do you think we're doing in the portyard in Kuwait? We're stealing fucking shackles so we can get our vehicles cleared to go. It, it, it's we're, 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 <laughs> we're All right, this is about you, not me. Okay, so there you go. You get to, you're, you're doing no, desert no, storm. This, this is classic shit, right? <laughs> So I finally get a couple more of my knuckleheads there. And we move on. We do some recons. We do some things. We're trying to find sources of water, right? Yeah. Okay, asshole. Go on the desert and find sources of water. Okay. I'm better off trying, trying to find gold. And, yeah. anyway. Okay. So while we're dicking around, all right, the boats are starting to float in from Seventh uh, Corps. Okay. You guys get down to the docking and help offload these, these roll rows. Okay, great. It gives something different to do. I run, organize a bunch of my knobs when we get there. And it's all heavy shit. Yeah. What the fuck do I know? You know I, I, took, I took a class once. 
about <laughs> I drove an APC a couple of times. Mm. What the fuck? All right, well, give me a hand. Well, you know, there's certain rules. I don't know if you ever did one of those. You know, you, you can't work from the bottom up and the top down. It's got to kind of come from the middle until you maintain balance on this thing. And so anyway, we get on there and we're specific. You go to this deck, this bay, whatever's in there, you, you pull it down. So you start running down these ramps and this thing, you know, deuce and halves, Humvees. Well, now we're getting into some real cool shit. There's some Bradleys. There's some Abrams. Yeah. And I, <laughs> And, it, you know, you, that thing, what, 60 tons? Well, I probably had a 60-ton chubby because <laughs> I'm going to roll down a ramp and off a ship, cranking on an Abrams with about four miles to go where I got to park the thing and nothing in the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I come down the ramp, and there was this young sergeant from the 7th Transportation Group out of Fort Useless. Is it Fort Useless? Yeah, it Fort still Useless? is Fort Useless, yep. Or useless with her little gold E5 shit on her white helmet and her little engineer shit and come down a ramp and she's waving at me. I guess I was going too fast in an Abrams coming down this ramp on this on this ship. <laughs> and I stuck my head up out of the hatch and <laughs> she sees the lieutenant bar. And I think I don't know, she shit her britches. Just I didn't see her. Or she was scared, thought I was going to power skid into her or something, but she, I could see her again. <laughs> she goes screaming across the runway, and I got taken off of that detail after the second trip. They got word of the lieutenant being an asshat. I mean, but at least so, you earned it. I did. <clears throat> yeah, that's fine. I... <coughs> Jeez. But, you know, it, it, there were so many, <clears throat> understand, right? We, we had Grenada, which was, for the most part, an operational success. An interoperational nightmare. Panama, clear win. Some things to improve on. We lost some very valuable guys in some very shitty circumstances. You know, I got to chase around knuckleheads, turning in guns for 50 bucks a piece. You know, it, so now here's the big one, right? You know, this is what this generation of the Army is going to prove to the world, right? Feared fighting force, what, the sixth largest military in the world at the time. You know, yeah. fierce Republican guards. You know, so everybody's amped up about this. So temperatures are getting up. So Same shit they sold in. us on, Well, Yeah. <laughs> everybody's got to get in on the game, right? <clears throat> Guys nearing the end of their career ain't heard a shot fired in anger. So now you got assholes on assholes on assholes. Triple supervising shit. And it, and it was so redundant. It was so stupid. I was fortunate. This is the one time in my career I could say it was cool to be a chemical officer because <laughs> no one fucked with me. No one wanted anything you were by to do yourself, with me. right? It was you and your, you no and your fucking NCO. I, no, no one wanted me just as long as they got a thumbs up for me. That was cool. They'd leave me yeah. the fuck alone. I was like the voodoo doctor. <laughs> and I had all the cool gauges. But it, what I did have, <clears throat> my friend, was two things. I had the heavy decon platoon in my company. And have you ever seen those? No, I've never seen them. I heard about them. And all that other shit. Yeah, you guys got all the fucking equipment. But you know what they also have? No. They have the heaviest MTO&E of any platoon in the U.S. Army, short of armored vehicles. We're heavier than an infantry platoon. We're heavier, you name it, buddy. And the second thing we had was water tanks. Oh, nice. <laughs> For the decon, right? Oh, yeah. They were, yeah. They, they were deconning, all right. Deconning their own stinky asses. 
<laughs> so you guys were the ones with showers. You got it, baby. <laughs> There's a flex. Mr. There it Clean. is. Mr. <laughs> yeah, I can read but between there, the lines. That's pretty legit. But there's some there's some um interesting deals made. They're they're always oh but see that's what I was talking about with with uh you know major jester about when when her deployments because it was all the same man I I imagine it's not much different how long did you guys stay so I mean the the invasion was done in what you know hundred hours but how long did you guys stay in Kuwait or Iraq was it was just Kuwait did you guys go did you get into Iraq yeah I was up in Basra and shit Basra okay you did go as, oh wow you went as far as Basra because well Basra was further south but you guys went up that far. So how yes, long sir. were you there before they you said, hey, let's get out of here? Well, you know, we had the 100-hour horseship, and we stayed yeah. two days after that. Oh, okay. So you – It was a blind-ass push for, you know, four days, four and a half days. I mean, so no, virtually no sleep. We got in a blocking position. Yeah. 100-hour ceasefire, blah, 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 blah. Three days later, they did it all by air. Okay, so – let me ask you this as someone who's so you're out you can you can talk about all this shit so we we already know like that took place in 1991 we went back when i got to go in, in 2003 those years between 91 and, and 2003 what did we do wrong in your opinion that caused us to go back what should we have done the first time do you think well you know it, it's interesting um you know, I, I was privy to something, Eric, and, and, you know, forgive me for being a little vague, but it was, no, it that's was fine. Part, but it was part of a white paper that yeah. I happened to see. There's, there's a sidebar to this whole thing about Walter Reed and some other things I'll come back to in a second, but I, okay. but I, I had privilege to read part of a white paper and the biggest concern we had to be brutally honest, our government had was if we vacated the leadership in Iraq, we would have created a power vacuum. We thought the Iranians would have been sucked into. That was the biggest fear at the time. You know, they were major combatants before we got involved, right? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, their whole war with IEDs. But that was, that was the position paper that guided our position. We can contain, no fly, no scrub, no this, no that. You know, keep, you beat the bully up. Keep him contained, then we'll come up with another plan tomorrow. It was a classic kick the can down the road, but it was based on the fear of Iran getting sucked into the power vacuum. Well, for what that's I mean, worth. That took place anyway. Well, ultimately, but at that yeah. time, everybody's a genius, right? You know, I had the rural coalition. Yeah, I mean, teachers, you know, I've probably said it. They bombed us in our own towers in their own country, for Christ's sake. Yeah, Even I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I said it on the Goon Zoom, but if I didn't, I know I've said it multiple times on one of these episodes, but like, look, Paul Bremer. I always come back to him, you know, the, the, the guy put in charge of the civilian reconstruction after the invasion in Iraq in 2003. He, he, he did it to us. You know, he disbanded 400,000 Iraqi service members and said, you guys will never be a part of anything going forward. What the fuck do you think these people are going to do? They have, they have families and responsibilities on their own. And that's what people forget is whatever we're told, you know, from a, and it's not to get into it's us versus them thing. It's like, this is a human thing, man. You know, if someone was able to pull the shit off here and they disbanded the United States military, what do you think the first thing we're going to do? We're all right. 
we will take care of our own one way or the other, but guess what? We're going to use every skill we have and we're going to join whoever's going to pay us and we're going to use everything we have against you. And that's what's called it a fucking insurgency. We were useful idiots. If you want my honest opinion, I will gladly take, take it for opinion. what it's worth. You know, we, we did a lot. We did dirty work for, for several of those countries. Mm. You know, you removed the destabilizing threat. Saudi was legitimately afraid of Saddam. Kuwait clearly had every reason to be because they got smoked by the guy. Well, right? yeah, plus Saudi and all the rest of them were threatened. Yeah. Yeah. All, the, okay. all the Gulf Coast countries. But the the biggest bully on the block stood there idly, at least. Iran. But they killed a lot of our guys later on. They were their complicit were as as much as they are today as they were then, Eric, and killing our guys in the Iranians. So That's what were huge... we really accomplishing, right? Yeah. How long did the French hang around? How long did the Brits hang around? You know, Brits have been getting their ass kicked over there for two hundred freaking years for Christ's sake. Well, yeah, I I I like I, I had a conversation about this with someone in my local hot tub a few weeks ago. It's like people have no idea like the British in Afghanistan while we were fighting the civil war. Like go yeah. back and look at what the Afghan or what the British, what they went through, like, especially, I think it was one of their local missionaries is the most famous story, but yeah, like these religious guys, they were the fucking decapitated and murdered. Like this shit's been going on for 170 years. In, in, That's in just Afghanistan. We, <laughs> what are we going to do? You know, yeah. same thing like, like you just said with Afghanistan. So it was, it was disheartening. I mean, you know, it's it, it was relatively bloodless. The 1991 fiasco, right? We dropped a lot of bombs at the end of it. Yeah, I don't want to trivialize any casualties or any deaths. Or oh, right. Yeah, no, I got that. But it, it was costless. Yeah. And we did a lot of dirty work. We reset the table for all these fucking guys. And what what year was the, the Cobar Tower bombings? 93? 99, yeah, yeah. Damn, two years after we left there. I stayed in that place when I was transitioning back to the States, Eric. And he's dicked. Are you shitting me? Well, I mean, like, I don't... It's kind of odd. I feel like there's been a lull. Now, I know we've had ISIS come in, and there's been, you know, there was Al-Qaeda in Iraq for a while. Like, there's there's been some group... The Taliban has never really left. But if you paid attention to, like, our involvement and the middle east you, you go back to what was it 93 was the first world trade center bombing that didn't work right yeah. um hbo made a movie about this and it's it's weird because they have i can't remember the guy's name but he was one of the main planners i think either of the original bombing or once he got out of the the, oh, the one that the blind shake or whatever yeah name. He's on it like so in, in the HBO documentary movie or whatever. And, you know, this is when HBO used to actually make movies that mattered. This was in the 90s. I remember watching it as a fucking I was either in high school or it might have been while I was early on in college before the military. But I remember they're showing a scene of him flying on a helicopter out of it. And, and he says, next time we'll bring them both down. Hmm. And then they go and do it in 2001. You know what I mean? Like, this is not something, everyone chalks this up to Osama bin Laden. Like, it was just, no, like, this has been, this has been a target for a very long time in the Middle East, I feel like. I feel like the people that we were, we made our enemies or who viewed us as their enemy, like, they have always targeted the World Trade Center and they fucking did it. 
They brought him down. And, and you know, I've, I've told this story a million times, but, you know, like, look, I was in the towers on September 9th in 2001. Like I was wow. there. Right. So, and that's the main reason I joined the army. I dropped out of college. I was going upstate New York. You know, I was playing baseball. I sucked at it once I got to college, but you know, everyone's good in college. Um, but anyway, that's the main reason why I joined the military was because of nine 11. That's it. And that's why I'm still into this day. And I just feel bad because you know, I'm kind of at that point, Walt, where it's like, I'm ready to move on. You know what I mean? Like I've, yeah. I'm going on 19 years next month. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, not to say too much, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the, the, the 21 year old who guy who was ready to go do whatever this country asked of him. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah. I do, I, it, it's not to feel bad, but it's just like, I, I just, you know, you, you get to a point in your life where it's, it's, it's time for the next group. You know, Eric, you bring up a real good point. Cause it's, you know, when I was making those decisions, we talked about earlier about, mm -hmm. you know, Reenlist and going back in, going to get a commission, you know, it all comes back to the beginning. I was taught very well as a private, even though I was probably a marginal soldier. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I was a decent NCO because I remember what the NCOs taught me. Right. But you know what, what I felt at a time at times in that, right. Is I trained hard. Okay. And I did a lot of, a lot of cool shit, been to the right schools, been in the right environments, trained, some serious shit. You know, I wanted to get in the fight. It's like, it's like being a prize I think fight. We all do. Yeah, I think that's what and, you want to do. And never getting in the ring. But, you know, the reality of it is to put in an entire generation of soldiers, and you epitomize that in your 19 years, mm -hmm. on a war footing for 19 years, is unfair to you. It's unfair to your family. It's unfair to our country. It's unfair to the next generations. Because the, these these asshats in, in DC don't view it that way because they have nothing at stake. It's the rare representative of this country that son is there. I am grateful. Okay. Although I don't agree politically with all of them, the Waltzes, the Crenshaws, the Stugays, the Mass, I appreciate the hell out of them. There's some others on the other side of the spectrum. I don't agree with it politically. There's one kid out of Ranger Battalion out of Colorado. He's part of the impeachment team. I saw him today. I ripped that tab off his goddamn chest and whipped his ass in the house, but different story. Point is, is an entire generation, Eric, can you epitomize that? 19 years of your service, we've been at war. There's no yeah. other generation, period, in this country that sacrificed like that, period. World War II was a different ball game, tremendous sacrifice. I'm not talking about them because they went and they never knew to come home. But it was a yeah. five year. Right. Five years. They didn't, they didn't raise children and their children aren't serving alongside them. Right. It, it, this is too much and it's not being done for the right reasons. That's my point of view on it. It's horseshit. It's, it's you know, the military industrial complex. It's, it's geopolitical bullshit. But who's standing the ground there? You got a contingent of Canadians probably now. You got a handful of these guys they rotate in so they can get their badges and stars and mm -hmm. you know drink out of uh, a Taliban's prophetic. <laughs> I knew that was coming. In. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, but, that's what. It why is. do you, why do you, why do you see that though, Walt? Like, because I mean, you came in at a very dangerous time and an unstable time, but there wasn't war because I feel like the Russians and the Americans both knew like if you guys 
really went to war, it was going to be pretty fucking bad. But what, what made it, what do you feel like you, cause you got out in 92 and I'm sure there was a reason why you got out, but based on what you've watched everything since, why do you feel like it's gotten to where it's at today? Is it uh, money? Yeah. I mean, at the end of it, it's, it's interest and money. I mean, these assholes, <clears throat> it's just multi-generational graft and it's, it, it's, how, how do you sell the next generation of systems if you're not running them out of the inventory? Oh, gee, General, you know, that whole batch of SBU super duper bombs that you just blew through last year. Well, I got the next version at 40K. Yeah. Yeah. But boy, it, you know what I mean? It's self-perpetuating, man. Yeah. You can't justify the next generation of hardware if you ain't destroying the current generation or demonstrating its superiority. See, and that's and that's a very real thing. And, and it's something that I've unfortunately been able to to witness in my, in my time. Because, I mean, we talked about it earlier on. Like, I, I came in still, like, it was a very, here's your paper fucking folder. Hold on to this, never lose it. And now they never see it because everything's digital and all. But all right, look, we, we have covered the and i would probably i probably could do like four of these with you man like we're probably gonna run over time is that okay yeah it's fine can i grab another yeah you go grab another and you know what i'm gonna take a break myself we'll be right back with with what So I almost got tripped up by those those bottles I was hyping up earlier. Anyway, Walt's back. I'm back. All right, Walt. So you get out. What made you get out in 1992? Was this a plan, right. or was it just where you were no. you were you have were you just done? No, I, Eric. Right before I, I mentioned the ROTC camp, ROTC summer camp. I'm pitching dangers of Saddam. Yeah, <laughs> sure. What happens that summer? Okay, and I got all these articles that. Proved that Walt ain't a bullshit artist. Anyway, um, that summer we were strap hanging on a jump in McCall. Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there we are. Let's do that. It, it was <laughs> it was proven out a medical concept before deploying the medical teams. Okay. So uh, you had Force Com Commander in the wood line. You had Tradoc, some Med Grand Poobah in in. We're strap hanging, so we're part of a security detail. Well, we went yep. in two high winds. So my my assigned part of the perimeter was just on the other side of the runway. Well, with the winds up, we should have been a no-go. We were advised in plane, 10, 10 knots plus gusts, do another loop. We go in anyway, and we had some serious injuries. You know, I came in hard. Oh, 
and I was trying to run to the, the infield and never made it. I hit the runway and I hit it so hard that I smashed my canteen, flattened my canteen cup. You remember how big those were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this was about like this. This was going, so was this going on a jump or what? It was a jump. Okay, gotcha. All right. So I landed on the runway instead of the infield. You know, I was running to try to catch the infield. Oh, shit. And I burned in. And uh, we had some serious, serious injuries on that. So story for another day. Thank God it was a medical company we were jumping with. That's all I got to say. They were administering last rites to a major uh, when they lifted him off. Um, I was not the time to see medical attention. I hit so hard, I must have dislocated my hip. You ever get a real deep bruise where it's it's black like the color of my shirt? No, I haven't, fortunately. I'm sorry, though. But I've had one from above my pelvis to above my knee. Damn. Deep is baddest bruise you'd ever seen in your life like i said i busted the canteen yeah black canteen cup on my right side you know pulled the security deal get up to walk off platoon daddy had to help me off the ground and go over there what's the medics say oh here's a couple 800 milligrams drink some water you exactly yeah classic classic so, army medicine right there a couple weeks later i get tagged august 4th i'm in a goal for doing all our run-ups and all this other good shit receiving well, November-ish, can't remember the exact date. I ETS while I'm in the Gulf. I'm done. My commission service is over with. My initial commitment's over with. The Army stops paying me and everything. <laughs> no stop loss for you, huh? Just keep... No, no, no. <laughs> they stopped paying me. My old... Another storyline about the old lady. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Used to run the club system. So, so Army. This is such an Army story. So she, they run me out of money and blah, 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 blah. Well, anyway, long in the story is I woke up one morning and sneezed and I ruptured every fucking thing. Oh, shit. I spent 45 days in a field hospital in the Gulf. What the fuck? through Landstuhl, Walter Reed, back to Bragg. Was there about a week. Guess what kicks off? Year war. Oh fuck! I I'm at the hospital, right? Live in my quarters right through the woods again. Second yeah. time, I go I go back home. I tell the old lady. I said, "You're taking me over to Corps headquarters. Go to Corps G3." I says, uh, "What do you got smoking back?" I said, <laughs> I said, "I'm not leaving my knuckleheads there alone." So I got on a plane with a bunch of civil affairs. Oh no shit. They had civil affairs back then. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. In a C5. First time I ever flown one. Yeah, C5 Galaxy. That's a big ass yeah. fucking plane. Facing backwards. Yep, exactly. You don't get under stud attack, and they want lessons on how to put on their mop gear. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The long story short, we go through the war, but at the end of it, Eric, I had done so much damn damage. Uh Double hernia, uh, had to have the ileal inguinal nerve into my thigh interrupted. Yeah. Uh, four back surgeries, uh, blah, 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 blah. And I hung on as best I could after that, but I was the end of my career. I couldn't go anymore. I, I used to run after that and I could run fine. But what would happen, I guess, with that nerve interruption, all the damage I did. Yeah. The thigh wouldn't message to pass more blood to my leg. So sooner or later, my leg would fall asleep. Oh, shit. 
So out of nowhere, it could be two miles, could be six, could be eight. Yeah. That's fine. I, I just go tumbling down like a bag <clears throat> of shit. So how many years did you do? All in almost 12. Well, that sucks because you did so much and you were so close kind of to the, you know, the 20. Mm -hmm. Did you get a, did you get, did, how, how was the VA back then? Did you get a rating? Yeah. I'm 30%. I haven't fought it. Yeah. I was going to say, you sound like you're a little bit more, the people get fucking 30% for complaining that they're, you know, they're, they're hearing or, or, you know, someone was they, mean, you know, or someone was mean to them and they get 60%. You know what I mean? At the end of it, Eric, there, there's so many kids out there now that, that need it and deserve it more than I do. I'm doing okay. If push comes to shove, I'll go fight it. There's advocates in, in my little yeah. town here in Michigan that'll, that'll. Well, I would just say, man, the only reason I bring it up is because I've seen a lot of uh, stuff that I I just don't agree with, but I've also like you know, someone like yourself with everything that you've just already talked about, you deserve a little bit more. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, I got plates and screws in my ankle. I busted my wrist. I mean, I. Yeah, probably should be a hundred percent wall. I'm just saying, based on stuff that I've seen, you should probably be a hundred percent. But all right, so Walt did all of that, and now Walt, we got to get into some civilian side stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, tell me what it was like to be a, a tobacco picker at the age of fourteen. Well, you know, again, I grew up. You know, my parents were both blue collar. Uh, my mother worked in a school lunch program. Oh, cool. She followed me all the way through school. There's hilarious stories around that. I mean, yeah. I'm the eldest kid. So her philosophy was she'd follow me all the way through school and park there. There's the rest of the kids <laughs> run. So well, your mommy, you like you, you, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but you, you talked about your dad. You know, he was, he was the the 012, but he was very, you know, he was a serviceman. And then your mom, I, I'm just trying to figure out where, or have you been able to trace? Where does your intelligence come from? Your mom, your dad's? I think it's the milk delivery guy, to be honest with you. <laughs> both, both of them are meaner than rattlesnakes. I call my mother a KGB colonel because she is. <laughs> she's Eric, she's five foot nothing. Yeah. And played center on our high school basketball team in the 1700s. I think she was with Naismith when they invented the game. That's all. Maybe, yeah. If I could throw the peach basket up there oh, and just stable it. That happened in Springfield, Massachusetts, by the way. That's right. Chickabee, so, you know. You, Wait, yeah. was it Massachusetts or was it Missouri? Massachusetts, my friend. Basketball Hall of Fame, Springfield, Massachusetts. Oh, Where shit. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> Naismith. But, I knew the name Smith part and I knew the Springfield. I just didn't know if it was Missouri or Massachusetts. Well, my mother was a card and she was, she followed me through school and I couldn't get away with shit. But when I go through that child line, I was prepared for army life because they, they dumped 10 pounds of shit. Anything I yeah. liked. I ate 104 bananas in one sitting in high school. What? Yep. No. Yes, sir. Were you the first competitive eater? <laughs> no. I was probably the biggest dumbass that ever. 104 bananas. What made you do that? Just a gag. Just and to see if you could do it. Throwing, throwing them on the table and, you know. What happened eating. after you ate them all? Like, what, what happened in the next couple hours? It wasn't bad. No? Uh, next day, I had a bit of a bellyache. I was going to say, that's a ton of fucking sugar. Oh, yeah. Um, I, it's a ton of, it's, it's a ton of weight. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you ran around and burned calories like a champ. You know, I played three sports. You know, same shit you did. You know, I, those were the days before TVs. You know, if you were at home, you're being put to work. So you're running around the woods. You're on the ball field. You're doing something. You ain't you ain't grabbing. That's true, man. It like, wasn't so, it. 
I, mean, I think that's important because cool. it's, I mean, I don't want to say this to be like, it, it, it's not, it's no fault of her. Like this is when my daughter was born. Right. But I, I, I have to get her out to do stuff physically, but. Well, I spoiled my boys too. And I, well, and I, I know, don't... but I mean, we grew up with that. Right. And I was, I was always in sports. My brother was always in sports. Like there was never a time, but you know, there was a time where I slack. I can remember. I, I know when I slacked off, but I was still involved in sports, but you, sure. you, you kind of remind me of my father in a way that like, that's all you guys did. Like you were always doing stuff. Like there was no time to be inside. And I just wonder why have we gotten away from that, man? Like everything's the opposite. Now I get there's technology. I, I got all that, but. Everything's too dangerous, Eric. Yeah, and which, exactly. Think how many parents won't let their kids play football. Did anybody ever tell you that when you were young? No, I just didn't want to play football because I didn't want to get hit. I wanted to play baseball. I, I wanted to play football <laughs> because I wanted to hit people. The sad part See, that's like, the difference. But yeah, I was the out. My brother was a football player. I wasn't. I just wanted to fucking play baseball. But, you know, I didn't... Whoever heard hot dogs were bad. You never were told that popcorn, whatever. You right. didn't have crap going on. So everybody's overprotective. You know, dude, when, when somebody told you, you look twice before you cross the street or don't pour hot coffee in your lap, you didn't have to. T- you didn't need signs. You didn't need waivers. You didn't need disclosures. Because if you poured hot coffee in your lap, you were the moron that did it. Yeah. Yeah. Delta <laughs> in and out. Right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, we didn't have money. So I went, I, I, they had this deal where they'd sign you up, Eric, and they, they'd pick you up and they'd get on a school bus and we'd drive 45 miles into uh, Bradley, Connecticut, right by the airport outside of Hartford, 45 minutes from the house each way and we picked shade tobacco shade tobacco is the covering for cigars okay so you got tobacco and then you have the cover okay and the wrap on the cigar is what came out of connecticut for all the best brands so you used to go down there and that shit was nasty i don't know if you've been around tobacco but i haven't the tar itself it, it's almost like if you imagine tar in your roof shawshank redemption so that, <laughs> yeah 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 uh-huh. Not quite as liquid, but about the same. My mother used to make me garden hose outside before I could come in the house. Oh, damn. And, and you were doing this at 14? Pull it off your skin. And you like were doing this at 14? What's that? You were doing this at 14? Yeah. At the end of my first season, I was a straw boss. What's a straw so, boss? It's um, a lane leader. Like okay. a, a, so you're, like a, a, you're a squad leader? Yeah, basically. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. I can you know, not a leader, team leader. Team leader. Okay. Yeah, I got that. I had run in a couple other peckerheads. I did that for two years and you know, lifeguarded. That was a little cheesier job. And oh yeah, way you know, easier. Came time for college, didn't have money. So there went Uncle Sugar. Well, I was gonna say, like, even with all your 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 crazy ass fucking SAT scores, like scholarships weren't available back then. Well, they had them, but I mean, you know. Dude, MIT even then was was money, right? Yeah. You know, Caltech. Right. So, okay. So this is what I wanted to ask. So you went to the University of Michigan. Yes, sir. Did you do that while you were in the Army? I did some of it while I was, while I was in and some while I was out. I finished my IE degree. The Air Force had set up a, a program where they needed guys on the C-17 Okay. And a bunch of munition pro uh, procurement program. So they partnered with Southern Illinois and U of M to sponsor that at Pope. Okay. Uh, 
Andrews Dover said they were taking people with college credits and I had some, right? Because I went yeah. to school in between and they're making IEs out of them. Okay. So they, they sponsored that's a legitimate degree. It's a well-known degree. I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ, IE degree out of U of M in Southern Illinois are popular. They're very, very good schools. Yeah. So Air Force co-sponsored that. So you'd go on Saturdays and Sundays and do your shit during the week. But I'd drive up to Andrews for a weekend if they had a class up there, or I'd go to Dover, or I'd go to Pope. And what they'd have is a dozen students in there. A lot of them were senior NCOs and officers that already had degrees, but to go into these procurement programs in the Air Force, you had to have an IE degree to be a contract administrator or whatever. This is before purchasing became a branch. I think it's almost a branch now, isn't it? What is it? Isn't purchasing or, or supply chain? No. Or so, well, for the army, at least contracting that it's a, it's an ASI. It's like an additional skill okay. identifier. So which I have, I did go through the, the, the course. So okay, take that. Cool. Yeah, no. So, uh, but yeah, so you can do, um, so there's always the contract officer, the KO as they call them. And then you do what's called the core. You do the contracting officers representative. So like when I was in Afghanistan, I was the core for the postal operations contract. Okay. So I got to have like, I was in charge of a $35 million postal operations contract in Afghanistan, do site visits around to wherever the contractors were. And I got to renegotiate it because we were in the option year. So I got to renegotiate it from 35 million to 23 million. So I saved the U S government, uh, Walt, $12 million. Very impressive. Write that shit down. Pissed away on golden toilets for a general. <laughs> Probably, Perfect. but hey, I, I was able to sit there yeah, with the one part, star and be like, "Hey, sir, here's what uh, I think we should do." As a you know, because I was the core, I was the rep. Yeah, but there are contracting cells. So, you mentioned the 18th Airborne Corps. I think it's pretty much at the the ESC and the core level. So the one and two star levels, they both have contracting cells, which is kind of what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, uh, if you're in the contracting, what's that? The Air Force was doing something formal. I, I don't know if it's a Yeah, legitimate. I think the Army actually has a, a specific contracting or a, a, a not a contracting, but a, but a maybe it is contracting. I think an actual MOS, but you got to be, it's it's an NCO position. 56? Yeah, there was, Charlie, it's, it's something. There, there's an actual MOS for it now, but it's not something you can enlist in. You got to be an NCO before you apply and go do right. it. Because, I mean, it's it's you know how this works, man. You got like, if you're an E5, all of a sudden you have a brain, you know, like you, you can't be an E1 with a college degree and come in no, and be no. able no, you, no, you, you gotta, yeah. Uh, oh, but yeah, there are the, the contract. I think it is a 56, 56, Charlie. I don't fucking know. Something like that. The Air Force was doing something for the C-17 and, and, you know, when we get on the, on the goon calls, what, yeah. what I find interesting and striking is you remember all this was pre-regiment, Right. This is before 18 series in a branch. You were detailed from the officer corps to SF if you went there and you had to be a captain. Oh, oh shit, really? So in those days, you know, if you're an infantry officer and you wanted to be a Green Beret, you would go there and your, your detail would be three years unless you got selected to stay. And then you have to go back regular army. Well, guess what happened? You went to bed with a tattoo on your ass. <laughs> It says, fuck the regular army. So the first time you show it to somebody, you know, and that was always the fear then, because that was, that was another option I was considering that, you know, to get out of the goddamn, do my detail in chemical core. Yeah. Go try to put on the, the green weenie. Yeah. I was going to say that kind of sound like something you'd probably, especially at least, at least the guys today that we know, it sounds like that's probably where you'd fit in the map, especially because as smart as you are, that's, that's probably where all your fucking people were. 
you know, I know everybody at, at that time, Eric, you know, I, I had, I had a lot of fun, a lot of responsibility. Like I coached yeah. soccer and every one of the kids on the team, this was when beepers were the only communication tool. Yeah. What do you think had beepers at Fort Bragg? And it wasn't the green wings. Mm. And I, I, and I can name names and all that other shit, but that's not the, the, the relevance of the story. But I knew all these guys and I kept getting yeah. control. When are you coming out? When are you coming out? When are you coming out? There was a time in my life when I was half a stud. <laughs> all right. And, and, but see, so now we're back. Now we're, we're, we're into the, the civilian stud version of Walt. So you, you pick some right. tobacco. Uh, you, so how the hell did you, okay. You get out in 92. Yeah. How do you end up an engineer with Ford? I got out and I went to work for, for Cintas first and I worked up and I was a plant manager for their Philadelphia operation, the largest of the 75 in a company, but I wasn't really engineering. Did so someone help up, you get that? Or did, did you just have connection or how did, cause I think no, a lot of vets don't know what the fuck to do when they get out. No, JMO recruiting, NCO recruiting. Okay. Um, you know, use, use the networks that everybody has use goon zoom. I, I, I don't yeah, no, you're right. That's fair. Yeah. But but if, if somebody needs a hand, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna embarrass nobody. I did that to the one kid once. I says call me, right? Or DM me. I'm not gonna do that. But what we've got to do, and one of the reasons you guys set this up, I believe, and one of the reasons I enjoy it so much is we're there for each other. Yeah. So as you transition out, you're not sure what you want to do after you're 20. Let's have the conversation, man. I yeah. put guys like in, in favorable position, I got chip spoons for me, and we joke about it. But he's, yeah, I he's, <laughs> I love God's chip. Well, no, that's not God's chip. He's the uh, Walmart, Walmart chip. chip. Yeah, it's Walmart chip. Yep. But, and, but yeah, know. no, you're right. And I, you know, I took, and he's Chips done a good job. I mean, he's got his teeth kicked in a lot, and I, <laughs> I've been nicer to him than probably I would be to normal people. But he's a good dude. No, he is a good dude, and he's hard, but he's learning. And yeah. you know, he got put in a, in a very difficult situation, but that's the benefit of having proven professionals. So we got to help each other out with that. But I went to Cintas through JMO recruiting, and then I, I struck out on my own after that. And I yeah. put my numbers out. I had um, a deal with Alcoa, Harley Davidson, and Ford. Mm. And Harley Davidson put on a hiring freeze at the end of that year. That was my first choice. Alcoa wanted to send me to some god-awful outpost somewhere, so I chose not to do that. So I ended up going to Ford, which wasn't a bad choice. I'm a Ford man anyway. My old man drove Ford oh, pickup. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, well, you know, everybody's got to hold the cross eye, Eric. <laughs> no, well, growing up, my dad had a Ford. He had a Ford F-150. There you um, go. Yeah, uh, that's what I remember him having. He's always, I mean, in the 70s before I was born, he had a Dodge. What was that fucking truck? Damn, I just he just dodged Dakota. No, I don't know. He just talked about it the other day. He had a Dodge. And then, power wagon or power ram. No, he had a truck. It was a truck. And yeah. then uh, in the in this the eighties growing up, he had the uh, the red Ford F one fifty. There you go. And then he finally, my dad got that truck. It was an eighty seven actually. My dad didn't get a new vehicle. He had that nineteen eighty seven Ford F one fifty until I went to Iraq. And I remember him. You know, this was two thousand three and two thousand four, but two. We were still on the whole mail system. I still remember him like he got a brand new 2000 Dodge Hemi fucking truck and he sent me a picture of it and I got it in the mail. I'm like, holy shit. Like 
he had that Ford wall, like literally since 87 till 2003. Then he finally got it. And now he drives a brand new Ram. I mean, he's had a few trucks since then, but he never had anything other than when we, when my brother and I were growing up, he like, this is my vehicle. This is it. And I think this, it was, it was a kind of a throwback because people don't do that shit. Now everyone's spending money. They don't have on trucks. They don't need, but he had that F-150 for fucking damn near 16, 17 years. Exactly right. And, and I'm parochial, but I would tell you the best truck is the Ford body and interior, the Dodge engine, and the GM tranny. Well, I have a, I have a, I have a 2016 Silverado. As of today, I've had it for four years. I bought it on this day four years ago. Well, I love it. My brother's got a – he's got what's – the, what's the midsize truck? A fucking – Chevy, not the Canyon. Colorado. He's got the Colorado, Colorado. the four door Colorado. Um, yeah. Well, prior to this, I, I, I've always kind of, I think I've always. So, all right. The first two vehicles I ever bought on my own. The first one I ever bought was a Nissan Altima, and then I bought a Nissan Murano, and then I bought a a, a Cadillac CTS, and then I bought this truck. So I'm kind of in the I'm kind of in the GM Chevy family at this point. Let me let me ask you a, a question. Yeah. You remember the nameplate the Nissan was marketed under when it first came here? I don't. What was it? Datsun. Was it really? Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay, because the Datsun, the old Datsun's in the showroom when I was in Orlando. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and the Toyotas, and I remember when those. I'm gonna lie. Hey, what? So I didn't have the Altima for long. I got the Murano fairly quickly after, but I put about a hundred and ninety thousand miles on that Murano before I got the the Cadillac. And the only thing I ever did do it was change the tires. Sweet. <laughs> like I, I, I didn't do a. I never had to do anything mechanically to it. I changed the fucking filter, all that. Sh- but other than that, nothing. I'll nothing. Tell you what, Not a damn thing. But changed really the tires obvious. twice. Versus the old days are definitely different. It's much better, much, much, much better. Yeah, well, well, that was kind of what's interesting because I feel like, and I don't know, maybe you could shed some insight on this because I don't know what the hell it is you do now aside from those crazy acronyms and all, but you were doing this uh, vehicle stuff. So I always felt like Chevy and GM had a, a terrible reputation in the States prior to the bailout. Is that, is that accurate to say? And certain product lines, it's warranted. Others, it's not. You know, one of the things that we always did, you might have heard of them. You have a lot of flash on advertisements, the JD Power Awards. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are actually very, very detailed, comprehensive customer reviews of, of vehicles. New, 90 days and one year in service. Okay. So when they advertise those, they can't play games with that because their competitors are slit their throat if they lied about it so when they say they got the best in class this best in class that that's very legit yeah okay here's pickups um understand you know the the, what we're talking about right is when i was younger the the heavy metal of the 69 chevelles and yeah yeah that's my dad's shit he was a 69 roadrunner guy real metal and then we went into the 70s with the Mustang 2, the Bronco 2, all the garbage. Then the Japanese started coming in, and Iacocca saved the industry with the K-Car. Believe it or not, that piece of shit <laughs> saved the auto industry in the U.S. Okay? okay. The whole time, the big three pickup trucks 
in primarily Ford. Ford's been a best-selling pickup truck line for 60 years now. Fucking ever, yeah. But those have always been solid. And, and we're renowned. Everybody's tried to take a chunk out of them. Nissan builds a pickup. Toyota builds a pickup. Nowhere near the same realm. They're getting better, but they're not there. So the moral yeah. of the story is through competition, as much as I hate globalism, we were forced to get better. Those Japanese sedans, the Datsuns, the early Toyotas, all that, were mm -hmm. cleaning our clock, Eric. No two ways about it. That Mustang too was a piece of shit. The Ford Pinto, the everything AMC. In the 80s, everything in the 80s, everything in the 80s just looked, oh, car wise, everything in the 80s just looked fucking like there was no, there was nothing, there was no artistic no value, there was no soul. It was just, it looked exactly right. It was, it looked just looked bad. And I don't understand how stuff like that, I don't understand how that was like, yeah, let's, let's do that. Because well, here's what I don't get. Well, and you probably know, what year were you born? 62. Okay, so my dad was born in 49, right? So I've heard and learned everything, and even my grandfather who passed last year. But still, I see all the vehicles that they had growing up and everything. But it, it, anybody can Google this shit. Like, you look at the vehicles and the cars in the 50s and the 60s. Like, that stuff. Like, oh. Can you imagine those vehicles today with today with today's modern interiors, and the and the and the the actual like systems and computer systems and in, that stuff? Today's interior, the stuff from the fifties and sixties as the exterior, and you fuck like I just took a picture last weekend of this truck from the sixties, a Chevy. Yeah, that's a and they were so small compared to the trucks today. But like if you took that truck and made it full size today with the modern interior, like. There, there's two That's things. Beautiful. There's two things at play here. Okay. Because I am absolutely with you. The styling, the statement, mm -hmm. the curb appeal. Those yeah. 60 were were the shit. You yeah. can't no one no one can tell me a 60. Even the fucking 30s and 40s. Let's look at some exactly. of those old cars, man. Like but they were heavy. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then you got all the fuel efficiency stuff come in. Right. You know, are taking weight out of shit so plastics are substituting for metal the yada 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 the only one who's approaching it right right now is ford with the aluminum body on that f-series but the whole genesis there Eric, was weight reduction fuel efficiency emissions now the next thing people say about the auto industry which is which is true but it's not true for the reason they think it is the cost of the average vehicle is way up now Guess what? It's for the same damn reason. It's all the safety shit you got to put in these vehicles. It's all the electronics you have to put in these vehicles. It's all these airbag sensors and you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, the, the person that puts their three-year-old kid in the front seat in front of a fully powered airbag. I mean, yeah. this is, I hate to say it, and I hope it never happens to somebody, but it's called Darwinism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean it's but you know you got to put stickers on everything now you're going to have electronics and you're going to have dummy switches and you're going to have all this other shit the electronics package in the vehicle is the only thing that's driven that inflation period labor per unit on a on a, any measure you want is down per vehicle dramatically really well well so that kind of going what you're talking about like so my brother i mentioned he has that chevy colorado and it's either he's either got a 2016 or 2015 but prior to that Dude drove a 2001 Saturn. Yeah. And, it, and, and he didn't buy a new vehicle until that 2016. Like I remember his, like his, his side passenger mirror had fallen off and he put his wife's like cosmetic mirror on it. 
But Dude. I remember he, he talks about like getting in from that and going into, you know, it's like getting into a rocket ship with the fucking technology that's into this stuff today. I, I could rebuild engines on those things in the past. Yeah. I couldn't touch them today, Eric. That's my dad. Like he, he says the same thing. Like this is my dad, 71 years old. You know, I bought him his first iPhone, you know, teaching him this stuff. Like he's like, I don't know how to use that. I'm like, dude, you can tear apart an engine and put it back together. What do you mean? You can't learn how to use the fucking internet. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's limiting, but I also can understand where you're coming from is because you're right. Like if I go, he taught me how to change the oil and do these things. My first car was a 1993 Chevy Cavalier, right? So that's, I, I could do all that stuff still on those engines. If I go look at my 2016, that's four years old now. If I go look at that fucking truck, I open that hood and I'm just, I don't know what the fuck I'm looking at. Like I could pick out what I'm supposed, like the only thing I think you can do on your own is change the air filter. If that's it and that, yeah that's everything it. else is like i i don't know even know where the fucking oil filter is i don't know where that shit's at you want to know definitely the, can't change the spark plug i can't do any of that shit i could do all okay. that on my old you know what i mean i could do all that because he taught me it yeah you want, you want to hear a good one yeah absolutely you know why i was the most popular guy in ford at one time because you have a personality Oh, that goes without saying. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Eric. Let's get a little more in depth here. Okay. The summer I was launching that Navigator and Expedition. Mm -hmm. Hey, there was a big car show in Detroit, and the CEO of Ford's wife, Mrs. Nasser, mm -hmm. got some big discussion with all the other Yentas and and made a commitment around safety. And it was all around seatbelts. Remember when seatbelts were mandatory and all this other? Well, you know yeah. that annoying thing you call the seatbelt chime? What? I'm the guilty bastard. I put it in the first vehicle in the Ford line up per orders of the CEO. You, the you know chime? That? You know that alarm when you don't wear your Yeah, seat yeah. You did that? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're launching this thing, Eric. And I get the phone call from the ivory tower. <laughs> it's gotta happen. You'll have a module and a wiring good diagram by this time tomorrow. It goes on every, you know, these these aren't even built into dealers yet. Yeah. It goes on every one of these new Lincolns and every one of these new expeditions. Okay. Not a big deal. I'm doing what I'm told. I'm a good soldier. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three yeah. bags full. Well, one, two weeks later, brother, when they're getting built and they're going out because what the, what the Ford activity and GM and everybody else does the same thing. When they, when they run new vehicles or new stuff, a handful of them go to every plant. So all the big shots at the plant drive them around and give their feedback. They test yeah. them out. Yeah. They get real broad market acceptance. Right. Every motherfucker at Ford called me, how do I turn this bastard off? <laughs> I am dead serious. The, the and you can't. You, you know how to turn it off? Put your fucking seatbelt on. That's how you turn it off. Oh, yeah. I, I'm dead serious, everybody. Executive garage called everybody. So that was the first vehicle, the, the Lincoln Navigator? Ford Empire. Expedition Navigator that had a seatbelt module on it. Did any other Did any any other vehicles at the time, like any other manufacturers? Is it... I, I don't recall. I, I just know Stand. the answer. So Trump what made you come up with that? I, I was told to do it. 
Oh, okay. So it wasn't something that you, okay. I got you. I, see I was a saying. manufacturing engineer that put it in the vehicle. So and it was, and, and it first plane. appeared on the expedition in the navigator. Yeah. And that was launching that summer and she made a commitment at some wine and cheese. What store. year was that? Oh shit. That was goddamn 90, 97, something like that. Yeah. I was going to say, because I feel like, well, I, I know like, cause I, I grew up in it, but the, that was like the Lincoln navigator was the, that was the car. That was the vehicle back then. Oh, it was it. Like, it was a total like luxury statement, but it was also it was huge in the hip hop community with the fucking the rap lyrics. Every like the Lincoln Navigator was that was the vehicle to have. You know, I almost I was almost ready to write. You know, all them guys. You know, uh, Jay Z and yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of free marketing for you, man. My pecker prints are all over every one of them navigators. What do you think about that, sugar britches? <laughs> they can get an autograph version if they ask. Yeah. You know what's weird, though? It's like, because uh, I remember very, very vividly, and I think um, a friend of mine, her grandparents, that was the first person I knew who owned a Lincoln Navigator. I saw some expeditions, um, but the Navigator, I think, was, what was the, what was the big fucking Ford vehicle? Was it yeah, that thing. What was it? Seven miles a gallon? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> well, tell gallons. me this. Because you, you're a fucking engineer. Like, so this is what I've always argued with my dad. Tell me this, man. Maybe yeah. you can help me out. Muscle cars. An era you grew up in as well. You were born in 62? Don't get wood thinking about it. Yeah, yep. okay. So muscle cars, the Ford Excursion. Not much difference in miles per gallon, man. Why are we, have we just maximized what we can get out of gasoline or, or word? Cause I talked about this with fucking Demp actually. It's just, I don't feel like we've improved much over the 50 years in, in fuel efficiency. Am I wrong or am I right? Where, where do you come out on that? Quite honestly, Eric, you're way wrong. Okay, cool. No, I, I want to be told why if I am. You look at the modern engine technologies and the weight of that pickup truck. That pickup truck yep. you talk about that your old man had from 87. Yep. You put that across the scale with the similar size F-150 now, same body configuration. Oh, yeah. Way bigger. 1,200 pounds difference. That F-50 on the road now is an EcoBoost E4, <laughs> E6. Yeah. I mean, I'm dead serious. I mean, the horsepower yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. and fuel is so much better in the current systems. The biggest thing is, is the contact. When you compare an excursion, and that's just a big old boxy piece of shit that you can't streamline. You can propel that all you want, but at the end of the day, that thing's just one heavy ass beast. And it's meant to be because you're going to tow your 40 foot yacht behind it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, as, yep. whereas the muscle cars of the day, they all weighed anything on the road today by thousand, 1200 pounds. Yeah. Unless you're racing them and you stripped all that shit out. But right. You know, I, it's all metal, dude. Everyone, every, you go, Give me 10 minutes with your new Batmobile and I'll rip it apart by hand. <laughs> you couldn't do that with one of those cars. Yeah, you're right. You know, you look at it, it's all push pin. It's I designed a lot of those interiors and installed them. It's it's embarrassingly garbage. The thing that attracts you to the car today is electronics. Yeah, right? you're right. And and that's what's weird because I was because I, I can take this a million ways, but let me just tell it this way. So 
we picked up a, a fucking new vehicle fleet vehicle two years three eh, about two and a half years ago at my old center and it was uh i think it was it's a 2018 hyundai it's not the sedana it's not the elantra it's some fucking little hatchback car and the interior stuff and everything that's in that vehicle is everything that's in my fucking truck that's you know twenty five thousand dollars more so i'm starting to ask this is what i want to ask like my girl very fortunate you know she's she's done well for herself has a mercedes and i look at what's in a mercedes from 2015 and i look at we we rented a mercedes earlier this summer from i think this year and the nothing's different interior wise on any of these vehicles anymore, whether it's your high end Mercedes or it's your fucking entry level Hyundai or, you know, you know what I mean? Like a little entry level, small car. What's, what's separating vehicles today that, that causes someone to pay 20 grand for the, something that they can get. For yeah. But that's, it, they've all kind of got the same, right? Uh -uh. All the control packages. You just, you just think differently about your car, right? You get in a car now and anything in the new fleet that shit that idles out when you're at a stop and you got to restart yeah. the engine. I hate that fucking, I hate, I that. hate that feature. Well, too. I, I, I had a rental Cadillac that did that shit and I just wanted to fucking leave it right there at the last stoplight. Fuel economy, blah, really? blah, blah. Because they always blah. used to tell you, like, oh, you start and stop. That's ruining the fucking fuel economy. It's ruining the starter. Like, okay. No, they figured it out. It's all that graduated power acceleration, all, all okay. your, 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 emissions yeah all the the gfi shit <laughs> in your screen well it's screen. fucking annoying i know that walt oh yeah oh yeah but that's what it is it's the electronics eric that's the biggest reason for the cost they did a study about a year ago i was down in tuscaloosa alabama helping somebody build bumpers for the mercedes and i i, I studied that pretty extensively and that's that's it bud it's electronics electronics and safety requirements are what are driving the costs what what does it cost to put leather vehicles in a vehicle? Is that expensive? Not really. <clears throat> What's the difference um, between leather and cloth? Because we know, like, if you look at the sticker tag, it's it's a significant. Because I don't think you can just buy them. You always got to buy something else, right? You always got to buy another package. Or yeah, your interior leather interiors is probably if you're talking four full seats. And any any dash trim, you're you're probably talking about a four thousand dollar delta. What's 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 stopping manufacturers from just making that the standard at this point? Hard to execute. Hard to execute. Okay. Because I always wanted that. Because I'm just like. And, and, and to be honest with you, a lot of people don't like it because if you're in real hot climate, that could, that's, that's true. Sticky yeah. And, no, you're right. Because I was still in Florida when I had the Cadillac, and yeah, I mean. But there's all that other technology, like you know, you got you, you have heated seats, but you also have cooling seats. Yeah, but the problem you, you got is it doesn't permeate leather like it does a fabric. Or I learned that in the power chair business more than I did in automotive. By the way, if you think yeah. about it, when you're dealing with somebody confined to a wheelchair, they're in that chair all the time. You have to dissipate heat. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point, and and I know that's something else that you it's did. Heat so, pressure management. Yeah. Um, it's hard to do with leather in is extreme really? environments. Is cloth, is cloth just easier? Yeah, it's easier. It's got more flexibility. Just think about your shirts, Eric, your microfiber shirts versus cotton. Right. Okay. Strap on uh, the Terry Shepard look. 
<laughs> Terry, we need to get you on the podcast, man. I haven't talked to Terry yet. But you know what I'm saying? Do, do the shopper leather drawers, leather pants, leather vest, leather shirt. You know bit. what else though? I feel like I feel like cloth seats interior wise are made a hell of a lot better now. No, they certainly are. They're better materials. And again, the, the best parallel is, is what you're wearing in garmenting. Yeah. If you think of all what you're doing for shirts, all this micro wick stuff, the real light, soft. I mean, yeah. the, the old days, Eric, it was all cotton, right? And then it went right. to polyester. Well, now you've got all these blends now. Mm-hmm. And that's similar to what they do in, in seating fabrics and cushioning and cooling and everything else. There's a lot better technology. Well, yeah, because I bought a specific package on my truck, but it didn't come with the leather seats. And I didn't, I honestly didn't want them because I had leather seats in my, my Cadillac. I didn't, I really didn't care for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, I, like I said, my truck's four years old and that, that if I keep it, I, I take pride in my truck and I take pride in the interior, mainly because of my father. Like, that's why I don't, I don't want you to ever get in my vehicle and be like, oh, this is fucking, like, you know what I mean? So if you get into my truck now, my seats look like the day I bought them. Yeah. But if you go back, like I told you, my first car was a 93 Cavalier. I mean, those fucking seats were ripped to shred. And that's just like the, like the ceilings hanging down because it didn't stay up. You know, like everything was so cheap. And I don't know if it's because that's just the way things were or if they purposely tried to, but material is 100% better. Like, if you just keep your vehicle clean, like it's going to look like it did when you bought it. Like stuff's pretty sturdy and durable today comparatively, I think. Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly true. There's better testing there. Uh, there's better use of, of alternate <laughs> materials, but part of that was driven or most of that was driven by fuel economy. There's no reason for plastic in, in an automobile uh, exterior, but you'll see plenty of it now. I mean, look at your fender now versus what you had in those days. I mean, that was real yeah. steel. that was chromed over, right? Now it's, it's more likely to be some composite or plastic element than it is anything else. Is there any like theory behind design today, as opposed to like, have you ever seen like a willingness to like, Hey, let's take design from the thirties, forties and fifties and make it today. Well, where you'll see that, if anywhere, to be truthful, and I hate to admit it, but look, look at the Dodge lineup and those Challengers and all that stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. a modernized version of that Detroit metal. Mm. You know, Camaro did it for a bit. Mustang did it for a bit. You know, truck isn't going to do it, but in the sedan side, in, in, in the coupe, right? Yeah. You see that. Those are pretty cool. The Hellcats and all that stuff you see rolling around. That's reminiscent of the old Detroit metal just upgraded um you know the first one to do was the viper you remember the viper yeah oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. that was a bad 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 ride seven six well that was probably like six miles a gallon right (laughs) i rode one one time and it was it was a fun ride but you know i I got to drive one so my first job after high school in the summer was my grandfather got me this I, i got to drive cars at an auto auction in orlando and I was fortunate enough to get the luxury line. So I was, it was always like the Dodge Viper, the Jaguar, the Porsche and the BMW. I didn't get the, I never drove a Mercedes, but I had those three and like, it would, it would crack me up, man, because I was like, man, I'm driving a fucking Viper. I'm 19 years old. But the car I fell in love with was that Jaguar S series. Cause it was oh, yeah. the first car. This was like, 
this was 2000. I remember it was the first car and I don't even have this on my truck now, but it had the power steering wheel. Like it came out, came up, yeah. it did all that stuff, but power. And that was like a 2000. I was like, man, I love this car. It was, I remember my favorite color was like this, this greenish blue color with the white interior leather interior. And I was just like, man, this is all I want. <laughs> and even today when I see him, I've seen a few on the road or I've seen just look, it still looks am- like that car still looks beautiful, man. But I never got one. So I, I hate that car. You know, one of my bio bullets is running that business unit for Nissan and all that. Yeah. Well, I'm down running a, a, a deal in Mississippi, right? Mm-hmm. I'm down there all the time. So my, my youngest kid calls me, can I borrow your truck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. He totals my truck. So I call the old lady. I said, you got to go out and get me a new truck. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. Okay. She goes out and she's looking. She goes to the different dealers. And I was under the employee plan at the time. So I had a plan. So it was a matter uh-huh. of matching the truck, right? I talked to her two nights later and she says, got great news. I said, what's that, Jude? Man, I got this new Jaguar. <laughs> I says, Jude, you're on a Ford pickup lot. How do you end up with a goddamn Jaguar? But she's she's a sport put up on my shit. Go ahead, right? <laughs> Two days later, she finds my truck. Three days later, she calls me. He says, I'm getting quotes for paving the driveway. I lived on a gravel road that went up yeah, the hill. Yeah. Feet. You know why I paved my driveway? Why? Because she took the well going into the, the driveway up the hill too hard on that Jag. Yeah. Bent both rims, eleven hundred bucks a piece. Ooh. That car lasted one month in a household. Oh, and I ended up with a thirty thousand dollar payment job. Oh my god! But see, that's kind of the only good thing about a full size truck. You never got to worry about that. But everything else, <laughs> <laughs> everything else, man. And I felt good about buying her that Jag. But when she did that, it cost me a thirty thousand. Hang on, let's back all the way up. My kid totals my truck, and I'm yeah. shelling. $30,000 payment job. The Jag. That's fucking crazy, man. Right. <laughs> it's still a good looking car, though. Yes, it was. And you I enjoyed driving it. Yeah, get in just it. don't go up any hills with that shit. But yeah, yeah that, that power. Oh, man. And it could roll, too. Yeah, it did have some kick to it. The four, what was it? The three, was it a 3.6? 3.7 or something? Or yeah, 3.6, something like that. Yeah, the V8 was, that definitely had some kick to it. I mean, Jaguar, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's got a good what, rep. I it, but the minute she did that and I replaced two rims, she's a cheap ass. Oh, well, see, and that's the other car. thing, man. Like, we, we ran into this with her Mercedes in the summer with rims. It's just like, man, they fucking, they, they gouge the fuck out of you when it comes to yes, anything. And you know what? I, I hate to say it. She's been great recently, but that car barely has 50,000 miles on it, man, on a Mercedes. And it's just like, it's, it's always. That's not something. even broken in, dude. No, like my truck, I'm, I'm at like 73,000 right now in four years. And it runs like the day I started it the first time. You know what I mean? It's just whatever. I don't know. Um, so what the hell do you do now? Well, I mean. You know, I, I left the auto industry during the big recession. You know, I, I was down running that business and I was coming back and I was going to start up a bunch of plants for a new Dodge program and a writing was on the wall. So I got the hell out of the auto industry and I went to work for a private equity owned business building motor coaches and, and trailers. 
And the industry really hit there. Obama made a famous speech about 17% unemployment in Elkhart, Indiana, who was standing probably three rows away from that clown when he did that. that <laughs> uh, so long story short is, is, you know, that dried up and I got called to, to go build power wheelchairs. And I got to tell you, something, that was a family owned business. And I was extremely, extremely proud of the work we did there. We did a ton of work with the VA. Oh, cool. One of the first triple surviving amputees of the current conflict was oh, our couple of spokesmen. Damn. You remember that scene in American Sniper where Kyle's in the VA talking to the kid about how he had a cigarette and it saved his hand. And he was on the, the, the range yeah. with Kyle and the other kid the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that scene at the VA where he said that's why he's got one good hand? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. his name, Brian. Brian oh, Anderson shit. is the kid's name. Oh shit! That's Legitimate um, uh, surviving triple amputee. He was in our chair, and he was one of our company spokespeople. So it's people like that. I was very grateful to help. Uh, very, very powerful business. Um, we could all be challenged with the same thing, physical or neurological, and we'd all yeah. have different prescriptions. <laughs> you think about something as subtle as an inward bias on a control hand or an outward bias. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. There's all kind of stuff I could go into, but it, it was so rewarding to deliver those chairs and provide mobility cool, to veterans um, and and other people. I made a chair for a pair of seven year old Siamese twins so they could oh, go to Disney. Oh, what the? F <laughs> Damn, man! Look at you about to bust out the tears on this fucking oh, show. So I cried that day, brother. Damn, man! That's awesome that you get to use your fucking skill set to do that, though. Like that's. Oh, it was cool. There was another one, Brian, that absolutely destroyed me. There was a there was a young child. We had a we had a line of chairs. You think about your baby strollers, right? Right. They've advanced a lot over the years. Yeah. But they don't allow a lot of movement, a lot of controlled movement for your child. Mm -hmm. Your child gets rambunctious. There's only yeah. so much they can do. And well, there's a line of chairs in in the rehab space that allow and control and manage spasmodic movement. Okay. So, you know, a child. So the chair actually moves. Yeah, it has stability features and, and oh, allows shit. rotation and extension and all this. Because again, a child confined to it a lot, you got to allow that weight redistribution, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, we, we built a chair for a young gal and uh, her family came and, and picked it up. We did a final fitting. And right as they were rolling by my office on the way out, the mother was crying. I mean, wailing. Yeah. I'm screaming out of my office like, it's the last thing I need today, you know? <laughs> uh, I'm going home. What am I What am I going into? And, and yeah. her mother was crying because the baby spoke for the first time at five years old. Oh, shit. Damn. Because of this. Yeah. What? And the mother it to the chair. I'm not no physiologist or psychologist. Yeah, no, it's just like it triggered something, some sort of like emotion that the, the kid was finally, yeah. Just blurted out a bunch of shit and the mother went hysterical. But see, that's crazy though, because you're able to do that based on all, if you if you trace it all the way back, man, like it, you, you got a fucking 1560 on your SAT. You're smart. You can do these things. Like I could never come up with shit like that, but that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But these are the things that eventually like the people like you are the ones who make that stuff possible. Cause there's, those are things like 
people out down here at this level, we, we, we could think about it, but we would never be able to make it. You know what I mean? And you're fortunate enough for us to have someone like yourself who can make that stuff come to reality. And you don't even think what's going to come from it. You're just doing something that you're, you know, this, you can conceptualize it. So you make it. And then the, this, as you talked about earlier, you know, the second and third order effects that come from that is a fucking kid who's never spoken for five years speaks. That's awesome, man. That's fucking crazy. You know, but here's where I would challenge you. And this ties back to the point we were talking about earlier, Eric. It's very important. And and listen, please, you're you're changing chapters in your career soon, admittedly, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's your empowerment skills, right? It's your ability to manage to outcomes. I'm no smarter than anybody else. You know, I'm not Elon Musk or, or fucking Bill Gates. You know, I might match up with Dave Portnoy. He's a lucky prick, but you know what I mean? Yeah. This is what you bring to the table, Eric. Yeah. You know, I can run some math and I could do some shit because that's what I did. Okay. But you've been managing complex human interactions for 20 fucking years, dude. People in industry don't have a clue as to what you bring to the table in those regards. I mean, think about it. Think about these interactions. Yeah. Right. You know, these assholes in factories and these assholes, even in the military, forget it a lot of times. But that's where you make bang for the buck, brother. I'm not going to sit here and take credit for a damn thing. I align myself with smart people. Okay. I I ate the crayons when they got the nubs down. (laughs) I challenge people, just like I explained in that example. No, I can't think of everything. Best three years of my life were spent in the third grade, but I can tell you, I can get some people together and we get some shit done. And yeah. it's safe. You know what I'm saying? No, I do because that's like when when you when you when you put it in that because uh, you know I, you just mentioned literally everything. Like I'm trying to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do next, and then, you know I've talked to Maddie and. Um, one of the cool things that Sergeant Major of the Army Daily retired. Well, he's retired. He's he does shit with uh, AUSA at this point. But he talked about uh, he spoke to our battalion a couple months ago, and uh, I remember him saying like, "Hey, what you guys do as senior NCOs, like it's it's vice." Is it, what did you say? It's like it's like it, it's like the executive, but like vice presidential level executive management. Like that's essentially what you guys do, and you don't yeah. realize it, but that's kind of what you do. Um, because so much, I think, attention is placed on officers, and you might know this because you know you got out as one. But like so many, so much is put on like, oh, you were a battalion commander, so you can, you know, you're a fucking CEO or whatever. But it's not even about those guys because they're always going to have something for them. But it's like, hey, you're, you're senior NCOs. They, they, what you said, they, they know how to manage all these different. When I was a platoon sergeant, I had fucking 40 some dudes and women who just completely polar opposites or whatever on certain things. And you got to bring those fucking people together. And you do, sure. and you build a great fucking team and they're successful. And you know what? You take some pride in that. You know what? You hit the nail on the head. What, the, the delta between the officers. Okay, and no offense, I never saw Major Daly. Okay, but even at his level, right? It, it's the interaction and connections. Yeah. Your, your your strength as a leader is bringing. I don't know shit, but what I do know is how to find the fucker that does. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's good. That's, it. that's what I do. 
you know, Eric, I'm in a, I'm involved in a, an assignment now. This is one of the one chips in, you know, it, we, yeah. we got dragged into restructuring a business. Okay. Okay. I've never been a CEO of anything other than my own business, but I hired one. Right. Okay. I've been a plant manager a million times, <clears throat> been EVP, VP, deputy grand wizard, grand marshal, <laughs> gas grabber parade. <laughs> the fuck do I know about being a CEO? Yeah. All right. But I know who knows, right? But more important, it's it's the dynamic, man. Does this guy get it? Does he treat people with respect? Does he hold yeah. people accountable? Does he understand that he's in business to make money? I mean, it's fundamental shit, dude. Yeah. You know, it, 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 your skills are really, you, you just got to define a focus. And, and I don't give a shit if you want to trade in antique cars or or run a winery, or, or set up a golf academy. Those core skills that you know and you talked about them are, are applicable. Everything else is specifics. And guess what? I don't know if you're a two-handicapped golfer or not. Okay? Close. There you <laughs> go. Well, you probably play pebble every other week, but, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, but get the guy that does hire the instructor and build around that. It's no yeah. different if you're starting, starting your own platoon. Key guys yeah. are the squad leaders. Right. Yeah, Dude. now you're right. Yeah, squad leaders, and then your team leaders, and you fill it in from there. Fucking ain't right. Then you can handle all the knuckleheads. Yeah. You know, See, it's it was just- kind of a cool thing is, uh, so Maddie, you know, Maddie, yeah, she's a CEO. If you need a CEO, I got one for you. Um, but she's got a good friend that she introduced me to months ago. Um, I want to say he was running the New York Times west coast division at one point out here in san francisco but he asked me like we were just sitting there talking to shit and it's like i was i just remember thinking like the fuck am i doing talking to this guy like you know you know what i mean like he's her friend but he's he runs the new york times on the west coast you know slightly above my pay grade at the time but he asked he's like so how many people you know report to you or how many you know and it was the same thing like this guy's the head of the West coast of the Pacific or the West coast division of the, And it's the same thing, you know, six or seven people report to him. And it's no different from, you know, you know, your military structure, right? Like as a platoon sergeant, the only people reporting to me are, you know, your, your platoon, your, your, or your squad leaders, you know, and then as a platoon sergeant, I report to the fucking first sergeant with the, with the other platoon sergeants, he reports to the sergeant major Sergeant major reports to the whatever level of sergeant major, you know, the command sergeant major, and, and and then you'd look at it from the officers, platoon leaders, commanders, battalion commanders, brigade. It, it's the same shit because you can't talk to everybody, right? You got it. And and what what are we talking about here? We're talking about a mafia family. We're talking about the military. We're talking about corporations. Yeah, you're <laughs> the same fucking way, Eric. Yeah, right? <laughs> all been successful for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So why screw with that? Right. right? It's force multiplication. It's it's somebody not afraid to make a decision at the point of contact. Yeah. Right or wrong. You know, you know, whether we're we're spinning cotton in the arm or we're engaging the enemy decisions got to be made now. And I may be wrong, but no decision is not an option. That fucking nails it. And man, that's and, just, and that just like encapsulated my entire 19 years. <laughs> the reality of it is, is, is business is no different, Eric. You know, yeah. the, 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 you know, the coaching points for a young guy like Chuck, 
are relative to engineering aspects and I'm helping them redefine processes. I said, dude, don't handle shit seven times. Right. Yeah. You know, and he understands what I'm saying, but until you, you draw a practical for the guy in a manufacturing environment, it is a little different. Right. But how many times are you going to stick your booger fucking picker in the pizza before you serve it to somebody? They're not manufacturing something. You see somebody doing that, right? You're going to eat in their pizza shop again? <laughs> huh? That's fucking wrong. Yeah, no, you're right. That's awesome. That's that's a that's a hell of an analogy. You, your booger and, picker. And that's what you use, dude. And this what you what guys like you bring to the table. You know, when I when I teach these principles to executives, that's what I tell them. Do you put all the burgers on the grill before you went to the store to get the damn buns? We'll start cooking the burgers till you already got the buns in your possession, asshat. <laughs> You don't have to be Elon Musk to get this. Yeah, well, I was gonna say that that, that would be like it, that would be my like my motivational speech if I ever did that shit because I'd be like, look, yeah, it's just to me, it's just like there's so much stuff that we we assume is common sense that people don't. It's it's not. You would think it is, but it isn't. You know what I mean, dude? Listen, don't tell everybody, but that's all, all right. I make money. There's a okay. lot of bastards out well, there. That- I'll, I'll hit you up when I get out because uh, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll figure this out, man. No, I'll joke an aside though, man. You know what? What ends up happening, Eric? And this is what you're gonna fight, and it, and you gotta think through it because this is your key battle, right? Is you get so parochial, mm-hmm. okay? I remember the shit I listened to when I left. The, well, you're an automotive guy. You don't know shit. Well, screw you. It's the same principle. Yeah. Right. Well, you never did medical devices. Screw you. You stole all them guidances from the automotive industry 25 years ago. You want me to prove it? I'll give you page by page, article by article. Guess what? Because I wrote the addendum. <laughs> so don't blow me this shit. Yeah. But what it boils down to is fighting through these paradigms, right? You know, yep. the perception I had when I was transitioning is everybody's going to think I'm a drill sergeant mentality type guy. It all fits in this little, and you know how the world is, dude. Right. And, and relatability and, and, you know, don't put the burgers on the grill. Right. Talk about reorder points for material. You wait till you're stupid ass drunk to realize you don't have enough beer to finish the night and drive to the store and get more. No. <laughs> you put the second 12 pack in the fridge before you. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's good. But you know what? These are relatable things that everybody gets. When you start talking high, bro macro list scuba gear electron flow you lose people man yeah you know that's why i get a kick out of tony stark our brother there uh steve <laughs> oh <laughs> god oh you talking about beyond the sof guy yeah, yeah no yeah did he's fucking funny as shit he's definitely helped yeah. he's definitely helped me out a little bit i don't i don't know what the fuck's going on with uh you know what the hell i'm gonna do next but yeah he's definitely helped he's he's, he's a good resource but uh no you're right because some of the shit he says it, it makes sense um but you know it's really about that and, and, and i built the career transitioning right you know it, it the role of the nco is is translating the officer's stupidity into actionable shit by joe and jane schmedley yep right that's the role i feel today it's the, it's the money guys, okay? The guys in the operations. I translate the greed into reality. 
or the dreams into reality in yeah. some cases. <clears throat> it might be both. It, and it is. And I've been involved in both. You know, I've been involved in a deal. And that's what I really like about what I do now. I advise some of the richest sons of bitches on earth. That's pretty fucking cool, Walt, man. On deal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, depending on how America? these next few months go, I'm, I'm going to probably have to fucking hit you up soon. By all means. You ever seen that character Marcus Lemonhead or Lemonis or whatever? I don't think so. The prophet. Hmm. It's a he's got a series on. He, I guess he's CEO of the camping world. Oh, camping world. Does, okay. He, he does similar to what what I do for businesses. Okay. He goes out and helps people. And, you know, it's kind of neat because you know you get a you get a, a especially now. You know, people loan money to businesses, and pe- businesses are struggling. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Jeez. Sort of, so the bank's got to decide, what do you do? Do you pull the plug? Do you sustain? Do you put potentially good money after bad? They can't answer that because they're freaking bankers. They're going to call somebody with a lick of sense. <laughs> and that's where what well, comes they, in. You and your band of idiots <clears throat> and take banker talk into the operation, come out of the operation and come back with banker talk. So it that's what makes I sense, do. man. Yeah, no, it does. It, it it makes a fucking ton of sense. It really does. I hope whoever's listening actually can conceptualize that because I think a lot of people get intimidated based on a different title. It could be the same fucking thing. You could be doing the same exact job description, but because your title is fucking something that's not, you know, yeah something that you recognize then you automatically get off put and, you, and you're intimidated when you don't realize that you're doing the same fucking thing hey brother you, you couldn't have said it any better because you know what that don't mean shit at the end of the day don't mean shit about fuck it's all about how you write it up that's exactly right at the end of it eric dude you you can look in someone's eyes right mm-hmm. you know they're real or not you can watch their behaviors you can come up to me with a title 87 pages long. You ain't shit to me, bud. Yeah. But I, that's the benefit of your experience, though, while you've, you've been there and done it and seen it. And <laughs> But if I had to offer a shortcut to someone. Yeah. I mean, let's let's take this half sarcastic. Day you retire, who are you right. going to fucking loot that day, Eric? Not a fucking person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what it is. Dude, you be in, 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 it's just, that's the paradigm. Okay. I, w- I would challenge all our friends and colleagues, right? Is that doesn't matter anymore. It's competence now. Yeah. It's not titles, it's not ranks, it's not office location, it's competence. You put me in the shittiest office in any building, I don't care. I just soon stay away from all you stupid bastards anyway. It's what you know. I'll find the guys who know what I need to know. Yeah. That's what it boils down to. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, hopefully, whoever heard it can do so and, and you actually pay attention to what Walt has said because that's exactly why I wanted to want to, you know spend some time and, and speak with you because I knew you had a wealth of, of information to share. Your personal story isn't bad either, so that's good. Um, but that's where we're going to wrap it up. So that was Walt, Walt, say your last name for us again. 
Nizyolik. That's Polish for Joe Shit the Ragman. Oh, you're fucking Polish? Yes, sir. Holy shit. So am I. Bandazeski. There you go. That's there Polish go. for Joe Shit the Car Guy. And you know what? Like Lisa Jaster, before she got married, that fucking one of the first couple of Ranger girls to graduate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another Polish. We're taking over. We're doing this. All right. Like, Polish Americans. Here we go. All right. So there will be bourbon. There was Walt. Uh, you know, hey, like, subscribe, like, I can't even speak. Like, subscribe, share, do all those good things. Uh, and join us if you are a, a want to be a part of the Goon Zooms. Hit us up. Let's do this. All right, Walt, thanks for hitting us up, man. And I appreciate you spending all your time with me tonight in a hotel appreciate room it. somewhere on the East Coast, I think. All right, brother. All right, man.